Welcome everyone to the Dusty Roads special. We talked about this a long time ago when Dusty Roads first came to the WWF. That just in case he didn't get the respect that he deserved, just in case he didn't get the respect we thought he deserved, the Dusty Roads run turned out to be better, I think, than either Ms. Van or I would have imagined. But guess what? We're doing this Dusty Detour anyway. We've got matches from the 70s, matches from the 80s. We've got legacy matches. We've got matches that are somewhat off to the side. And we're going to get into it pretty quick because we have a lot to cover. I will just say real quick, I have the word perspective pulled up in front of me. And the word perspective means the ability to see the bigger picture in life. Perspective is about being able to see the forest as well as the trees to avoid getting wrapped up in the small details when there are bigger issues to consider. It allows the individual to address important questions about the conduct and meaning of life. When I think about Dusty Rhodes, I think about a man who could have easily missed the forest for the trees. He could have missed the opportunities for the setbacks. But when I look at Dusty Rhodes, I look at a man who knew who he was, a man who knew who he wanted to be. He had a dream. He had a perspective. He had an ideal and he projected that into the world. It doesn't altogether make sense how Dusty Rhodes did what Dusty Rhodes did. But we're going to get into it. And the fact of the matter is we got so much to cover and we barely touch what this man did. My friend, there are two bad men. One of them is John Wayne and the other is the one we are covering today. Ladies and gentlemen, the hype is back. Grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God. My learned colleague, Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Dusty roads take me home to the place I belong. Yes, Dusty Rhodes is someone when I watch him, the more I watch him, I feel like I am coming home. Even as a wrestling fan who only started watching in 2003, there is something magical about these old times, these old legends, Dusty Rhodes himself being one of the best. I watch these matches from the 70s, from the 80s, and I feel a connection, a nostalgia to a time that I wasn't even alive. I can't explain it, I can't articulate it, but I can find a way to talk about it, and we're going to do that right now. Today, we have seven great Great, great Dusty Rose matches to talk about, some of which I had seen before, some of which I haven't, and which were revelations. You all out there listening have suggested some of these matches. I hope that you are watching along with us today of all days because uh, there is just, but we, we unearth day after day, week after week, year after year. We unearth, we're looking for gems, and sometimes we find a few, sometimes we don't find any, sometimes we find stuff we wish we had left buried. But we keep unearthing. Today, we've hit a mother load. We have hit a strain, a vein of gold in the ground, and that is Dusty Roads. And uh, I had even more fun with this, watching this, than I expected. So we are coming home to one of our favorites, Dusty Roads. I'm very excited about today. 
That might have been the best uh, Miz fan intro of all time. So <laughs> we've already blessed you folks with something today. We can go home now at this point. And it's the best you're going to get because my problem with trying to talk about Dusty Rhodes is you don't talk about Dusty Rhodes. You experience Dusty Rhodes. Like, it almost feels like, what is the point in talking about it? Dusty Rhodes isn't going to talk about it. Dusty Rhodes is going to be about it. And so we'll see what happens in this. But it's so funny, that wonderful uh, uh, tribute you just gave us and the idea of home. Um, I wrestled with this. And, again, we don't talk before our shows. I had no idea what Ms. Fan was just going to say, and yet I spent an evening wrestling with myself about, uh, I watched one of the matches, and I'm not going to say which one it is yet, and I thought about, is this the greatest match I've ever watched in my entire life? And I thought about, what is my perspective for great matches, because I am not the technical guy. I don't even, I didn't even know what my favorite matches were. I, I couldn't compare it to anything because usually I talk about storylines and characters and eras, but favorite matches. So I'll get into that. But what I said to myself, Ms. Van, was, do I feel what I'm feeling tonight, which I maybe have not felt in years or maybe decades because it's close to my childhood or it's because it's close to the South where I used to be? Or is it that I'm experiencing something, and I said the word home, that feels like home in a way that has nothing to do with childhood, has nothing to do with former fandom. And the point that I came to that I can't even uh, argue my way to is this did not have anything to do with my childhood because it was before my childhood. It was before my fandom. It's the error just before the error I took up. So it wasn't that. And I said to myself, Ms. Van, I said... It just feels like coming home. That's amazing, really. <laughs> we, we sometimes seem to have some kind of mystical connection here, which I guess is appropriate, as you are the mystic. But uh, that really is incredible. It, it is hard to talk about Dusty Rhodes because you have to experience Dusty Rhodes. You may even have to sing about Dusty Rhodes, yes. as I've just shown um, there's just something about the man and about the time period that he came from, that he dominated. And, uh, I don't know, I, I could be totally off base, but we've talked about how influential Dusty Rhodes is. We've talked about how many of the top wrestlers, which is basically all of them, all the top wrestlers, uh, looked up to Dusty Rhodes, imitated Dusty Rhodes in some way. He preceded them and he influenced them and he really helped create so much of the wrestling that we really came to enjoy when we came on the wrestling, um, you know, in later eras. So is Dusty Rhodes, and he's not the only one, but he's a big one. Is he the guy who shaped these eras that we do call home? And is it like going back and you're finding, you know, you may love your father. You go back, you find your grandfather and he, you know, is all these things and even more maybe. I don't even know. Like I said, it's hard to articulate about Dusty Rhodes. So we're going to do our best today. But, man, there's something special going on, I think. Yeah, I think we touched on this a while back is in major American wrestling, you cannot do justice to history without saying there was a path that went through Ric Flair at one point and there was a path that went through Hulk Hogan. And you find out over time 
that both of those men, if there's an overlap, it's the influence maybe of Dusty Earth. I love that grandfather um, idea uh, there. I will also, I'll tell the, I, I will just tell this story briefly. Bruce Pritchard tells this on the very first Something to Russell, which is about Dusty Rhodes, and he tells it much better. It's beautiful. It's an amazing story, but I think it gets at everything about Dusty Rhodes. Uh, when Dusty came to the WWF, he was riding with Bruce Pritchard, and he would tell Bruce Pritchard over and over and over again that he is the second most recognizable athlete in the world, second to Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. and... Bruce Pritchard got tired of hearing that, so he told him this was early in Dusty's run. You know, Dusty, you don't get your hopes up. You know, when you come out, like you were big in that uh, territory that you were in, but when you wrestle in front of the WWF crowd, most of them aren't going to know who you are, so you're not going to get that kind of response. But, you know, over time, we're going to build you up, and you'll get that response again. So I kind of pushed back against that over and over. I'm the second most, second most. Uh, and then they get pulled uh, one day when Bruce Pritchard's speeding, and man, he's going like I think over a hundred, and it looks like they might be in trouble. They might even get taken away. Uh, they get their license, the cops go away. They come back to the car, and they say, "Are you guys professional wrestlers?" And they are professional wrestlers. And they're like, "I knew it." And then they look at Bruce Pritchard and they say, "Are you brother love?" And he's like, I am Brother Love. And like, our chief loves you. Could we get your autograph? And so then Dusty Rhodes speaks up and they're like, are you also a professional wrestler? And so they don't give him a ticket. They go away. And Bruce Pritchard looks at Dusty Rhodes and says, second most recognizable athlete. And that story to me in some way encapsulates Dusty Rhodes because if the whole wrestling world looked up to Dusty Rhodes, who does Dusty Rhodes look up to? Dusty Rhodes. And he is, in some ways to me, he is the most absurd human being when it comes to next to Hulk Hogan, maybe, of just, I don't know how you dream as big as the American dream. I don't know how you see like Dusty Rhodes. And you can look at it at times and just say, it is like this far beyond even the most exaggerated reality. And yet, look what the man did. Look what he accomplished. Look what he projected into the world. If I know one thing, when we go back into these eras, we are going to be swimming in imaginations manifested. This is not an era where WWF is the superstar and all characters are controlled because we don't want superstars. This is an era where you get over based on an exaggerated version of who you are. And I don't know if there's ever been a more exaggerated character and yet a more authentic character and yet a more touch something real character than Dusty Rhodes. And this is why I don't know how to talk about it, because how do you talk about the most absurd and the most on point thing at the same time? But if you want to make sense and have straight lines and have the obvious and have evidence, this isn't the error for you and it's not the man for you. This is something beyond what we talk about most of the time right now when we talk about Dusty Rhodes. Mm. We've talked a lot on the show about uh, larger than life and what does that mean and uh, the people in the era that we're still covering, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, all these guys, oh, they're larger than life and they are. But man, I don't know if anyone is larger than life in the way that Dusty Rhodes is, the way he acts, the way he moves, the energy he exudes, the things he wears, the way he speaks, all of it. You can imagine 
if he walked down the street, but if he did, you'd have to think that street, the cars, the people, they would part on either side for this man. Like, if he walked through life, he would literally be larger than it in a way that it would have to get out of the way of. Uh, it is quite incredible. We've also talked on the show a lot about elements. And, man, if there was ever an heir, I think, you have Dusty Rose because, man, this guy floats above it all. He soars above it all. I don't think there's a thing in life that could drag him down or stop him. You know, we've talked about uh, also wrestlers who may uh, lose their self-confidence at times. I don't know the personal story of Dusty Rhodes. I can't say he never had a moment of doubt, but, man, if he did, I've never seen him show it for a moment on the screen. This is a man who bet on himself every second of every day, it seems. Absolutely. I'm glad you said that about the air because what I was thinking when I said that is in all this exaggeration and all the colors and all the claims in, in the way he walked in the way he would strut and the things he would say, if even a heel of a single cowboy boot touched the ground, mm. he would be exposed as the biggest liar of all time. <laughs> but when you see him, and you see how committed he is. Look at this man's eyes. It's easy to get lost in the fact that there's something almost Andre-like at times about him. There's something Rock-like. There's something Austin-like. There's something Hogan-like. There's something you can get lost in the gigantic uh, personality. But push back past that and look at the eyes. And if you want to find the most convinced believer in Dusty Rhodes, look at the eyes of Dusty Rhodes. This man is in the air and you got two choices. You can believe him or you can try to go against him. And I don't think this promo's in here. I think I found it randomly because YouTube realized I was watching a lot of Dusty Rhodes stuff. He calls out the women of the NWA, like the fans at one point, because apparently a lot of them come to cheer Ric Flair, man. He just went after them. So <laughs> Dusty Rhodes is not going to let anybody come against the Dusty Rhodes era. You will join him in the sky or he will come down upon you. Dusty Rhodes is a fierce, fierce man, and dear God, I'm ready for this. <laughs> I'll just say I don't think uh, that cowboy boot ever did touch the ground one time, so no one ever was able to call him a liar. Although, it's funny, we may talk about that as we go. It still amazes me, and I mentioned this before, how Dusty Rhodes, you know, for all the great influence he did, and I think everyone you mentioned and more, uh, did imitate or was influenced by Dusty Rhodes at some point, whether they knew it or not. But still, there was a time when uh, he was not well-liked by uh, our type of fans, if we even fit in that group. But, man, like, you can hear Steve Austin in his ECW promos. He'll go after Dusty and kind of, you know, his, his whole deal and everything. So it's amazing. I, I think we've come to a place now where he's pretty much universally appreciated, and uh, I'm very glad about that. <laughs> Yeah, and I understand. I can see him being unlikable because sure. I can see him be 175 years old and wanting to book himself <laughs> in a bunkhouse match to win the world title. Like you know, you can't be this much on, you know, and it not it, it not rub people the wrong way. But like what we're looking at is this man as a character and a performer, and it's just pro wrestling can be so many different things. If you're watching in 2021, there's so many different promotions you could watch that could tell you professional wrestling is X or Y or Z. But even watching WWF, and I've had the time of my life watching it, there is something even missing from the best of that 
that I didn't even know that I needed. And so I just don't know how to give credit. Like, I think there's some people who are just going to get it. They're going to be more like we are in how we take things up. But it's not going to be – Dusty Rose is not necessarily the man that you can take a tape measure out on to prove that he's one of the greatest of all time. Like, your measurement system has to be different than the obvious. And when you allow yourself to get out of the obvious, you stumble. You know, it, it is like the children uh, in Narnia leaving, like, the effects of, I think, World War II to stumble into a wardrobe. Like, there's no way to think about how life is going to be better or different than it's ever been in a grand way when you're being sent away from home because of a, war, a major world war. And if you measure it that way, you're going to keep on losing. But if you measure what happens in the wardrobe that ends up being a magical land where you're actually a king or a queen, then we're talking about something different. And Dusty Rhodes is both a common man and a king. And if you can't start with paradox and contradiction and imagination, then we don't know how to talk about Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> Well said. Uh, a common man and a king. Randy Savage had it wrong. He was truly just jealous the whole time, I think. There, there, there's some truth to that. Whew. All right. Well, we have a lot of material to get through today and only three hours to do it. So I think we'd better jump right in and uh, see what else we can discover along the way as we talk through all this great material that we have put together with your help, the listeners. Uh, incredible watch list to this week. I think probably the best one that we have ever done. Yeah, this is a ridiculous. Uh, it's an embarrassment of riches that begins all the way back in 1977. But we got a promo that is, is going to be after the matchup. But we got Dusty Rhodes and superstar Billy Graham. You know, this is, again, like I said, this is going to be Dusty all over the place. Like, we 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 have what Miz fan just called maybe the best watch list we've ever had. And like I said, we barely dented the career of Dusty Rhodes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the sad thing is, I've, I've referenced this before, I think, but, man, even if you wanted to watch all the Dusty Rose that exists on tape, you would have a wonderful time, I think, but you would probably still not see more than 50% of all the things he did because he simply came from an era where not everything was recorded, uh, where things were just lost to history. Um, he has a whole, a whole part of his career where he's a heel, uh, and the Texas Outlaws with Dick Murdoch, and that's a huge run that he has, and almost none of that even exists. So there, there is even more Dusty Rhodes than it is possible to unearth, and uh, it is very sad that, that is true. But, man, the stuff we have, and we have a lot, is uh, just incredible. And like you said, it's all over the place, so we're going to dig into as much as we can here. And, yeah, we're, not, we're barely going to scratch the surface. Yeah, so uh, let's just get into it. Uh, we're about to cover in a moment a Texas death matchup from October 24th, 1977 in Madison Square Garden. There are many, I believe, wonderful Billy Graham, Dusty Rhodes matches. Uh, I brought the promo in just to hear them talk about each other because, like I said, these are not just going to be matches. These are characters. These are personalities. And Billy Graham is going to talk to um, – this is going to be Vince McMahon, uh, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, uh, with the uh, Gene Oakland role at this time, and he's going to be there with uh, both Billy Graham and Dusty Rhodes. Uh, Billy Graham talks like Dusty Rhodes in these matches has caught him by surprise. <laughs> well, when you're a man with the 22-inch uh, arms and uh, you think that fitness and uh, muscles 
are everything that you need in wrestling, and you get taken on by Dusty Rhodes so credibly. I imagine it is something of a surprise, but uh, yeah, no, here we have Vince McMahon, 33 years old, which is exactly as old as I am today, which is a bit of a trip and a half, uh, here in 1977, I do believe, talking to both these wrestlers, one after the other. We get Billy Graham to come out with the Grand Wizard, who was one of the primary heel managers of the WWF at this point, or actually with an additional W still, even. Um, and, uh, you know, he has a reputation for being a great promo, and I, he absolutely is. You know, it's very much earned. I haven't heard that much Billy Graham from this era, but uh, he does uh, a very fine job, I think, and I'm not surprised at all about that. Yeah, there's things that you don't always hear, especially from a heel world champion, and I guess it makes it refreshing because you don't hear it, but he... Vincent Mann just talks about the struggle of the match, but he says, like, if we're being honest, I was carried out of the matchup. So I did not expect to hear that. Mm. Um, he talks about Dusty threw me over the top rope. He threw me into the glass because I was, apparently was in a hockey arena. Um, mm. yeah, he practically ruptured <laughs> my spleen, whatever that means. <laughs> uh, so that's interesting. And he says that he didn't know that he was unaware that the American dream was so malicious. Yeah, absolutely so. He, he does say that he uh, held on to the title by the skin of his teeth. He condemns Dusty Rhodes for his violent behavior. Grand Wizard condemns him as well. He promises, and I love this, he promises they're going to come to the next match with a new strategy. And, man, I love people talking about strategy in wrestling. Absolutely. I love this, too, because Dusty's going to take it up in just a minute. This is going to be the theme that goes across both promos, but before that, uh, uh, we are left with the Grand Wizard saying, you son of a plumber are going down the drain, little tidy bolt man. <laughs> <laughs> I think it shows um, the effect when uh, you maybe just have one pun in your promo instead of a hundred, so <laughs> please take note, era that we are now watching in the WWF. Yeah. Mm. But man, you said it. It's that strat I've got to change my strategy because of what happened. And guess what? The American Dream Dusty Rose was rapping with Bob Backlund, and he got strategy from Bob Backlund, who said, if they got a good defense, you counter with a good offense. And guess what? The American Dream is geared towards offense. Mm, indeed, indeed. I always like uh, wrestlers talking about conferring with other wrestlers. That's a very nice touch. Um, we do have, man... I mentioned a little bit, but Dusty Rhodes, like, the things he wears are so elaborate. You would yeah. almost think he would have to be a heel because of his, like, outlandish fashion sense. You're kind of coded if people wear ridiculous things, then they just might be a supervillain. But, God, I, I think, again, it's just the incredible confidence of Dusty Rhodes, the incredible charisma. He always pulls this stuff off. Uh, he really looks incredible, I think, in uh, all these promos. And he's always looking different. So props to Dusty Rhodes and his uh, unlikely fashion sense here. Yeah, and we, we will. while we will see it all the time, I do think this is the Dusty Rhodes that was going to inherit New York mm -hmm. rather than the Texas bunkhouse and the, and the NWA. So yeah. I think there are two different Dusty Rhodes, but it's a lot of Dusty Rhodes. And while they're all similar, I do think this is a more flamboyant. This is a more like I'm going to take over Hollywood. I'm going to uh, like expand pro wrestling. Whereas later we will get one that is more centered on the blood and the death match. Not that that's not here. He's going to bleed. I think in every match that we that we cover, perhaps. <laughs> but Indeed. like, but it is a more flamboyant, over the top Dusty Rhodes. And again, 
that maybe that's partly why it's a Dusty Rhodes that took Billy Graham by surprise. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And that's a great point because there will be the Dusty Rhodes who uh, dresses in all these outlandish attires, and then there'll be the Dusty Rhodes, as uh, Benjamin Button shared in a bonus video that we're not probably going to be able to get to. There's a Dusty Rhodes whose whole identity is he's a cowboy, and, you know, he, like, owns a ranch, and he's a cowboy all day and, like, is farming when he's not wrestling. So uh, I can't see this Dusty Rhodes doing no. any farming, the guy who wears this outfit. So you're right. There are two different Dusty Rhodes here. Yeah, this is just amazing stuff. So we talked about Bob Backlund. That's significant for two reasons. Mm. Bob Backlund may be the only man that stood between Dusty Rhodes and the WWF legacy rather than the WCW. Mm. The rumor, the claim at least, is that uh, Vincent Mann Sr. made a promise to Bob Backlund, but he also kind of wished he had made Dusty Rhodes champion. Perhaps that's true, perhaps that's not. And then we're also going to get a Bob Backlund-Dusty Rhodes match. So, again, significant uh, that he brings the, uh, Bob Backlund up. And then he also says, which I like, he says that superstar Billy Graham was talking about he's hurt. The only thing hurt was his feelings. <laughs> oh, that was a great line. Absolutely. Dusty with many great lines. He's very magnetic. He's very charismatic in these promos. I say I love Dusty Rhodes uh, pretty much in any era we can find him in. But, man, like seeing him this young is something even a little bit different, I think. Just uh, there, there's something about this Dusty Rhodes, this young, this full of energy is so magnetic. And, man, he never stops being magnetic or full of energy. But do you know what I mean? It's just something a little different here, I feel. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's, there's a difference, too, because – Later on, he will have accomplished much of what he's going to accomplish. So mm. in the in the 80s, even when he's going to win the NWA world title, he's already been a two-time NWA champion, and he's part booker, so he knows what the world looks like. He knows about how big it can be. There's something really special about the ridiculous vision that Dusty had and then not yet knowing what it meant. I, I do believe that the, this Dusty Rose that, we're, that we're, we are calling right now probably thought that every every human being on the planet earth was going to become a professional wrestling fan and that he was going to be the champion of the world and that all we were going to do is like watch dusty Rhodes as like world champ slash president slash prime minister slash whatever else so like you just see like a man who has not yet accomplished but somehow has this vision that everything under the sun is going to somehow uh, relate to dusty Rhodes. Well, I've said it before, our people who are coming up who are hungry are often uh, at their best. And, uh, yeah, I just realized this is the only match in promo where Dusty Rose will have never been world champion when we watched it. You know, he'll win his first one in uh, mid-'79, and mm. our next match will be after that time. So, yes, yeah, the only Dusty Rhodes not world champion, hasn't been world champion, doesn't know for sure if he's going to be world champion. But I think if you asked him, he would have told you, oh, Daddy, I'm going to be world champion. <laughs> Absolutely. It's not an easy path, though. He's got, you would think in Madison Square Garden on October 24th, 77, when it's a Texas death match, it might just be the moment for the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. It could have been a very over, um, very, very popular. Um, you know, I, we could have had a whole different history. And I was, it's funny, once again, one of those promises, you know, maybe disrupts the course of wrestling history. You don't hear about too many of them, but man, I guess that's why you don't. Because when you make a promise, uh, you know, crazy things might happen in your wrestling company. So. Yeah, that's interesting because two things come to mind. Number one, 
maybe that's why he's the only person who's ever kept their word, like in the history of professional wrestling, <laughs> if he did that. And number two, what what they, they at least claim about Vince McMahon, whether it's true or not, is that he never promises anybody anything. So he'll tell you, oh, I could see you at WrestleMania. I could see you being the world champion, but he never promises anything. And one wonders maybe if uh, that whatever four or five year backland reign that blocked Dusty Rhodes might be where he learned some of his lessons. <laughs> Could be. I think he's wise not to make that promise. You make that promise, and that's how you end up. Well, I'm not going to get into the Sting thing again, but you know what I would say. So. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, this is so weird because this is also a matchup where Vince McMahon is like going to be in the ring to interview Dusty Rose right while he's about to have his match. So a different yeah, style of doing things here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dusty Rhodes is in the ring. He's wearing a robe, which is right out of Ric Flair's wardrobe. Um, and, uh, yeah, Vince McMahon hops up on the apron. He's going to talk to uh, somebody he calls the Soul Man. So, again, that's maybe a bit of a different Dusty Rhodes here. Dusty Rhodes does a quick promo, a fiery promo. And I got to say, uh, you already mentioned this name, but I, I got to reinforce it here. What what this series of matches and promos really taught me, and I kind of knew this already, but, man, Dusty Rhodes, he does owe uh, a debt to Muhammad Ali because uh, at times, especially early on, he is almost doing a straight-up impression of him, and it is only by virtue of the fact that he does it so incredibly well and makes the style his own that he does not look like a ripoff. And he does not, but he definitely owes that debt to Muhammad Ali. That's true. It's also so smart, too. If you're going to rip someone off and you want to be great, Rip off someone who is even greater and rip off someone who doesn't exist in your world. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Rip off the best and rip off someone who, yeah, is not, um, you know, he's never going to fight Muhammad Ali. You know, they'll never come up against each other. So, uh, yeah, no, it's a great choice of person to imitate. And, man, he really does do it so well. He does. And Billy Graham is also... They both they both got their flamboyant style, but man, when they get in the ring, it's not it's not necessarily about that. Oh no, yeah, this this match uh, has has more than a little bit of grit in it. Um, it's wild for me to think that we we watch this match, and uh, I think we're about seven years away from uh, WrestleMania one. And man, it feels like about maybe fifty years instead between those two things. It's just a it's a different world a little bit here than it will be there. It is. It's Madison Square Garden, so we got that drop-down mic. We got the ring announcer in the ring, like center ring. And while he's introducing them, Dusty is, like, chasing uh, Billy Graham in a circle around the guy, (laughs) trying to get a hold of him. So, you know, it's just perpetual energy and motion. Like, Dusty Rhodes is very rarely still, and it's, it's motion towards something purposeful. And I would be very I would be very afraid of this man. Like I would be like totally Blanchard, who we will see later, who hugs the ropes and leaves the ring more than he stays in the ring because Dusty Rose is after it twenty four seven. Yeah, absolutely. And Vince McMahon can praise Billy Graham's arms, as you might expect, and uh, Billy Graham can do all the things he wants, but I don't think he was prepared again for Dusty Rhodes here because Dusty Rhodes is so fast in this way, in this match, the way he moves, the way he jabs, even somehow, like, the way he taunts exudes, like, this speed and energy. Uh, he is Randy Savage-like, or perhaps Randy Savage is more Dusty Flair or Dusty Rhodes-like than mm. we gave credit for, because uh, he is also a man who feels like he'd almost be surrounding the ring here at times, simply with his aura. Yeah, it's also... Like in uh, some kind of some video games, JRPG video games and others, like 
you can attack an opponent, but sometimes you can also do a taunt that either can like give you your you and your party more strength or more defense. And it's like when Dusty Rose is taunting you, he's either taking some, something away from you or adding defense or strength to himself. He's not just doing it. Just the, it's part psychological, it's part charismatic, it's part crowd appeal, but it's also some. It's a bit of offense and defense at the same time. I've not seen anything much like it, but like he's still in the engagement of the fight with the taunt that he's doing. He really is. Uh, that that taunt, I already knew about it. It's really been more ingrained in my mind than ever. When he, you'll know it if you see it. I don't know if I can even describe it. He kind of like sticks his chest out and he kind of flails his arms out to either side in this uh, flamboyant kind of way. And his arms are kind of behind him and his chest is sticking out. And I, I, like, I don't think I can do it justice describing it. But man, when he does it, it just does seem to push out this wave of energy that, you know, you have to really see, I think, to believe it. Yeah, and I, it does, I think, offend because, like, I really noted, and you mentioned it briefly, but Vince McMahon, of course, is bigging up the baby face. He interviews Dusty Rose. But the moment that we see the arms of <laughs> the 22-inch <laughs> arms of Billy Graham, I noted that, oh, well, he lost Vince McMahon at that moment because Vince is on about those arms. And so, you know, we got what the professional athlete is supposed to look like, see, see the uh, hard times promo to come. And we got how easy it is to look down on someone like Dusty Rhodes, man. And this is why, again, he's going to be surprised because Dusty Rhodes, you know, he's not going to beat you in that one bag that you keep pulling from. But then when he pulls out a different bag and a different, different bag and a different, different bag, and you realize he's surrounded by bags and he got something in all of them, then that one bag that you're going in all of a sudden might be challenged. Yeah. Well, that's a great point. I was just thinking Dusty Rhodes, he may be lucky that he was not WWF champion at this time because uh, if he was and Vince Jr. still takes over the company, I think he would have been thrown over just the same as Backlund and uh, Graham and anybody else who came before. And uh, who knows what he would have done then. That That's a very different history indeed. So, uh, so maybe he is lucky that he did not end up going that way. Yeah, it's, it, it's tough to know. And I think that's partly why I like about the series. We're not doing, we're doing one or two maybe of his biggest, like we're going to see him win the world title. We're going to see him in the totally feud. But we're also just going to see him as a journeyman. Like he's going to be in Japan, uh, half face, half heel. He's going to be, uh, he's going to be in WWF. He's going to be in the NWA. So we're going to see him all over the place. And I think he would have found a way no matter what happened, but all those ways would have been very, 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 very different depending on just a few things in history. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's a different time. We'll see him in Houston and Florida and all sorts of different places. So this is a man who, you know, in fairness to him, I think could have made it work just about anywhere. So, yeah, I think even even in that history, he's not just going to disappear from wrestling like some others did. I think this is a guy who was in it for life. And, um, you know, barring some Hollywood stuff that he clearly wanted to do also. But, man, it's some very, uh, very good, good stuff in here. Man, if they had just given him at least one season of a Western, I, I would take away <laughs> one world title ring for that. They, one of the um, videos shared by Benjamin Button is uh, a series of interviews with J.J. Dillon. And uh, one thing he shares, I don't know if it's true or not, but when he was a child, Dusty Rhodes' uh, dream was just to be the star of one Western movie. And, uh, you know, I could see that possibly being true. That hurts because he, he is a like he, he's a Western star in a professional wrestling world, especially uh, later on, you know. 
Man, I want to see that now. <laughs> I have to check his uh, IMDb credits sometimes because I'd be amazed if he never played a cowboy in any movie. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. It is both amazing. We have we have hyped up what Dusty could have done in WWF, but then like we were saying, there's also you just don't know with Vince McMahon. And uh, one thing Bruce Pritchard talks about is there's some matches and stuff that Vince McMahon would just act like he can't understand. And the bull rope match, they would talk about we want to have a bull rope match and. The, they would explain it to him a hundred times and he'd just be like, he doesn't understand it. It makes no sense. And so when I saw Dusty with the rope in this matchup, I was thinking both Dusty could have been the leader of the WWF, WWF, and also maybe never could he have been because you just don't know what Vince McMahon. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Dusty Rose was a particular flavor of something, and I think he was only going to change so much for um... – for what uh, some people would want him to be. But, yeah, he, he's got that rope. And, really, it's Graham who brings out the rope first. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, if Dusty was not in the match, we probably wouldn't have seen that rope. So, uh, yeah, no, they go back and forth with it. There's bleeding. There's choking. There's people getting hung up. You know, it, it gets uh, – this match is not – you hear Texas death match and maybe you think, like, uh, a certain kind of violence. I don't know if we get that. But mm-hmm. it is gritty. It is violent. Um, it's got some uh, very intense moments in here. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a back and forth. It's a struggle, I think. Um, it's, it's difficult in a lot of matches and, and companies. We're going to see it in all companies. Like, they have a long world title ring with a heel, the baby faces. you got to figure out how to do the match, how to do the ending. So there's a lot of that involved. But, man, yeah, definitely a struggle between the two of them here in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, yeah, absolutely so. Uh, I'd say this is not the best match that we're going to cover, but it is a really good one and is definitely worth checking out, I think. Uh, In the end, the end is kind of weird. Graham kind of charges in. Both guys go down on the mat. They lay there for for a little bit. Graham rolls over, and he gets that pinfall, and that ends the match. And It's almost like Dusty... Uh, within the match didn't realize that was happening because afterwards he kind of pops up he rolls over Graham he tries to pin him he keeps fighting but uh, the match is already over so uh, maybe a bit of saving grace for Dusty Rhodes there a bit awkward in the execution I think but still a very fun match overall yeah it was not my favorite in the series but it's not, I said it's not maybe the most athletic the ending's a little weird but again it's Billy Graham and it's Dusty Rhodes and it's a struggle um, I think there's more matches, so you can maybe watch them together. Um, and again, I think everything is elevated by the fact that there had been like a title switch or back and forth. But, you know, these are just I think they're special in part because it's Dusty Rhodes on a different path than he's considered for. And it's Dusty Rhodes almost, 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 almost uh, arriving at that destination. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So and um I'll say this, too. We, we've spoken uh, almost exclusively positively about Dusty Rhodes, and with very good reason, but there is a thing called the Dusty Finish, and it's something he liked to book, and he often influences his own booking, and it kind of means a match that uh, ends in, well, we'll just say maybe an unsatisfying way or a bit of a cop-out way, right. and, man, you're going to see that over and over and over again on this series. So if there is a criticism of Dusty Rhodes, you know, maybe there's something there. But uh, we're not here to talk too much about that today. 
No, but I do think that is worth mentioning, especially since we have been so down on WWF a lot of times for their endings when babyfaces don't win. And it's not just WWF doing that because we're going to see it here, there, and the other. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's really all of wrestling, uh, especially around this time and in the 70s and definitely into the 80s. Uh, it'll be a while before promotions are maybe brave enough to give us some more clean endings so we'll we'll keep a sharp eye out for that it's not just the WWE thing not just a dusty thing you know it uh it's just kind of what the era is in this time of wrestling yeah absolutely and there's something special because uh, you gave us 77 gram in madison square garden then we're going to get 79 roses versus race in madison square garden and I was able to find a promo that he's at least addressing this, and it's weird because we're leaving evidence that Dusty Rhodes sells out Madison Square Garden, and we're going to get Dusty Rhodes talking about the fact that he had one dream, and that was to be in the garden, and I've conquered the garden. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dusty is in Florida, but he is talking about New York. Uh, he is running through his mind what it means to be the world's heavyweight champion. He does talk about that dream of the garden and now conquering it. Uh, <laughs> he promises this will be the match of the century. I don't know if that's going to pan out exactly, but uh, he also says he's the only person to ever pin Harley Race. and implies it may happen again, and I don't know if that's true either. But, man, <laughs> when Dusty says it, you know, you give it at least some credibility. Uh, even if it's not true, it's true in his mind, and he's going to try to make it true. So Absolutely. Yeah, Dusty Rose is bigging up. This is the hype, man. This, a lot of these promos back then would be the address of the show popping up on the screen like go buy your tickets now and i think dusty Rhodes, the dusty Rhodes promo stands alone like any of the best promos but somehow it's also not bothered by like an advertisement uh plugged in with it <laughs> i mean that was the whole point of these promos at this time get people in yes. the door you know this match we're very lucky to be able to see this match these matches were taped for kind of like a special madison square garden channel that you could only watch in like very specific places uh in that area i think but man like this match was not meant to be like distributed viewed everywhere and we are very lucky to be able to watch matches like this at all because there's a million matches like this that were never taped that you had to be there to see and they could never be experienced again so yeah no that that very much also is emblematic of the area uh, of the era it, it's very much like you need to be here you need to come experience this and god i wish i could I never got a chance to see Dusty Rhodes live, I think, which makes sense from when I came into wrestling. But still, like, what an experience that must have been. It breaks my heart into a million pieces that I became a wrestling fan in 1991, and I grew up in North Carolina. Like, you give oh, me a, like, yeah. put me a decade back, and I probably could have went to 75% of the major shows that the NWA <sighs> ran, and, and, not, and it not been a problem. Oh, yeah. I've thought about that, yeah. You came from the right area at the wrong time. Just, yeah. Just missed some of the best stuff that you could have ever seen in wrestling, so that that is a damn shame. Even, like, uh, Flair's not going to be in one of the Horseman promos later, and they're like, is he in Myrtle Beach? Is he at Virginia Beach? And I'm like, I'm, I am would have been sandwiched between either one of them. So, you know, <laughs> like, they really were, like, Greensboro, 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 Georgia. You know, it's just, it would have been so easy and I really thought about this, and I won't belabor the point because it's kind of depressing, but if I could, like, be older and closer to death but have lived that era and 
lived at that time, I would try, I would make that trade even now. So, oh, wow. <laughs> and I'll talk about the matchup that kind of got me there later. So I'll, I'll plug that in later. Um, and I'm not insulting the day that we're in, but I did, I did, uh, after seeing that Dusty Rose promo, I turned on Race vs. Roads on WWE Network. They gave me an ad, and it was a Bella talking about life beyond the ring is what matters most. And um, I'm happy for that. I'm glad they got TV shows that they don't have to wrestle. But there's something fun about watching a wrestling program that's not about wrestling, where they tell you the thing that matters most is not the wrestling while you're in between like a promo and a match for Harley Race and Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in fairness... That probably is true, but that's not necessarily the time yeah. that you want to hear about it. So yeah. uh, I totally get you. <laughs> yeah, it's context, and you know. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So. Oh okay. my gosh, yeah. So this is an era where uh, the WWF will play host to the NWA, and we will see uh, the NWA title defended on the show in Madison Square Garden. Dusty Rhodes and Harley Race, and uh, it's just a very different time because in a in a few years. This company, under new management, will be doing everything it can to kind of destroy the NWA. So it's very much a different time here. Yeah, I would say watch this just to see uh, the Fink announce uh, Race and Rose. And it's something like <laughs> calling this the seventh bout of the evening. That There's some credibility and like real fight atmosphere that goes with that. Oh, yeah, absolutely so. Um, so these two uh, are very... Very much arch rivals with each other. You think of Dusty and Flair, of course, but Dusty and Race probably yeah, right up there in the same level of legendary rivalry. Um, it's just one of their many, many matches over the world title. Uh, you get a lot of great stuff. You got Dusty again uh, so fast. His movement is very magnetic as before. You have Race throwing these killer punches, but also selling just even the way he... Like, he'll take a hit, and just the way he falls over, I think, is special compared to the way other people do it. So you've got quite a legend here in Harley Race, as everyone should know by now. Yeah, I, I noted that I just want to boo Harley Race, and I don't even dislike him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, there's something about him. Like, this is your world champion, and the way the way he moves is, like, the other way. It's like, oh, you uh, you can beat this guy, you know, you can take it off him. So, Harley Race, you know, I won't say he set the template for that heel champion, but, man, he did a lot to advance it, I think. And uh, he's another guy that people owe a debt of gratitude to. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you, you can get everything you need to know about both men before they even wrestle. Uh, Dusty does a finger wag. Harley Race gets mad and then pulls a punch like he's going to punch him, and then Dusty does a full body wag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, you have to imagine Hogan, I don't know if he's in the company at this time or not, yeah. but you, you see Hogan imitating a lot of these things almost exactly later on. So his influences are very clear here, I think. Yeah, and he said it. Like he said on the Steve Austin podcast, he said it, and I give him credit for that because like, it's something you don't always think about unless you have this context of Dusty Rhodes, I think, before just kind of maybe the mid-'80s. But, you know, that is Hulk Hogan. Like the maneuvers we talk about, like, if you get mad about Hulk Hogan stealing every heels, like, either their move or or their dance or whatever, Dusty Rose would have done the same thing if he had been in that position. Yeah, but he would have done it in a way. Like, I'm, I want to talk about that more later because there, there's, there's something to really talk about there, I think. But, man, it really strikes me. Dusty Rhodes 
knew that there could be a Hulk Hogan and the idea of like what Hulk Hogan will accomplish, mm. how recognizable he will be. He recognized that maybe earlier than anyone else. And he thought he would be that. And he damn near was. He just came along a little too early, I think, to make it happen. Like it was not really ready to be nationalized yet. No promoter was doing that yet. It will come along kind of towards the end of his career. But I think he knew all along somebody could be in that role and uh, he tried very hard to make it himself, and he almost got there. No, 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 you, no, no, you're right. He was that. The industry <laughs> wasn't that. Yeah, exactly. And you want to talk phenomenal when, when, when not only are you before what some people think is the biggest boom in pro wrestling history, but you were already that, and you saw that. This is what I'm talking about at the beginning of the show with this man's perspective and vision. And I've heard like wrestlers say celebrities were like pulling up at Madison Square Garden when Dusty Rose was working WWWF shows. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I can believe it. Um, just the magnetism of this guy really is incredible. I mean it like literally, I think people were drawn to him in a way that very few wrestlers can really talk about. And... I... <sighs> okay. So wrestling folks is, is a scripted um, event. <laughs> Okay. It is. I think we all are aware of that. But I don't know if have we have come to a point where we believe that us knowing that means that they shouldn't do anything to make us feel like it's not. Mm. And Dusty Rhodes feels dangerous. His promos feel dangerous. His matches feel dangerous. And when I say dangerous, I never know what he's going to do. And for whatever reason, I need to know what he's going to do. So it's not just, it's not Vince Russo, like, oh, they shocked me or they swerved me. Like, it's in line with who he is. But, and this is why I agree that he is heir. But then he's also a paradox. So he reaches down beneath the earth into hell, into foundations. Like, and he pulls something. Like, every single time there's a Dusty Rhodes feud, it is the worst feud of all time. He's been insulted. He's lost face like he's never lost face. He's going to come back like he's never come back. And you think you would get sick of it or it would be predictable because you've heard it all before. But it's never predictable. It has its own flavor. But yet at the same time, he's pulling from those same ideas. And I don't know what to say about all that or even kind of how I got off on that. But I'm just trying to tell you, man, there's a reason that. Like this man's this man sold out like Texas and Florida, but he sold out Madison Square Garden. This man was called the common man, but celebrities came to see him before Hulk Hogan. Like make sense of these things in your head if you can. Yeah, no, there, there's something uh, there's just something different about Dusty Rhodes, and yeah, the feelings that he inspires is uh, it's really incredible stuff. I think so. Whew, my gosh. Um, going back to the match, uh, there's some great stuff in here. Um, I would say this is not my favorite match on the set, but it's probably up there, one of the better ones, in my opinion. Uh, a lot of great stuff. Dusty Rhodes, there's one thing i got to give uh, credit to. Uh, in addition to being a very nice mat wrestler, which you may not always think about, and he really shows that off in some of these matches, but also, man, the the running elbow drop he does that he uses often Man, that is a damn nice elbow drop. I got to give a lot of credit to the physical skills of Dusty Rhodes as well. 
Oh man, there's a moment later, and I keep saying Tully Blanchard, but Tully Blanchard just <laughs> drops on his back and tries to sweep Dusty Rhodes' legs out from under him with his legs, which is a fool's errand, but obviously it doesn't work. And then Dusty just drops that elbow on him, and it's like when he drops an elbow on you, he drops an elbow on you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great move. The only the only elbow drop like that I know of that's better is Stan Hansen, and uh, it's the same um, philosophy. You drop mm-hmm. that elbow all across the man so that there's some very good stuff there yeah props to vince mcmahon who calls harley race a methodical stalker because that's what he is (laughs) he really is yeah i mean uh, there's a lot you can praise about harley race and the bumps he takes the stooging he does he takes a bump kind of over the corner at one point out to the floor which is just great but my enduring memory of this match is a match I had seen before I wanted to put it on. And one of the things I remember most is at one point, Race will have Dusty down on his back on the mat, and he will first stomp and then knee Dusty so hard in the face that I don't know how Dusty Rhodes was alive afterwards. Like, it looked incredible. And the amazing thing is, he probably barely touched the guy, because yeah. that's just how great these guys were in this era. But, man, it looks like he's going to cave in his cranium with that knee. No, 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 absolutely. It, it's, it's not a game in there. And like you said, some of them are probably the most skilled guys you're ever going to meet. Like Harley Race, I've heard praise for how light he is and everything. Yeah. And yet, you know, that that is the goal. Like it used to be, like if you want respect in the business, you look like you hurt someone the most and you hurt them the least. Yes, and that is something I would love to see return, because I think there's not quite enough of that philosophy nowadays, but uh, it's some incredible stuff, for sure. I don't even know what makes that, but (laughs) I won't get into this, because there's no point in it, but apparently uh, there was a beef between Harley Race and Kenny Omega back in the day, because Kenny Omega tried out, um, or went to a school, Harley Race school, and they put him in with the beginners, because while he was able to do great stuff, he, he, he didn't do it like in a way that was safe and he didn't do it in a way that was like patient and like paced correctly. So, uh, I just thought that was funny because, (laughs) you know, two different worlds there not knocking either of them, but it's just funny to me that Harley race is about as, as I can see Harley race. Like even if Kenny Omega is the greatest thing of all time, I can still see Harley race, like putting him in the beginners group when he was not supposed to be in the beginners group, according (laughs) to the world. Oh my. Yeah. No. Um, Things have changed, we'll just say that, and I also will not take the time to slag one or the other. I'm sure people would know which one I would side with, but uh, um, back to this match. Uh, I I referenced this a little earlier. You did as well, because Dusty will do things that Hogan will do as well. I was at one point in this match, Dusty's taking some offense, and then, and then, and then he just pops up, and uh, he may as well be hulking up, you know, and this is something that uh, it won't be the only time he does this, so... Why, I am wondering, and I I don't know if you can answer this, you probably can't, but why, when Dusty does it, when certain people do it, does it make me feel so excited? Does it make me pop up? But when Hogan no-sells something, when he pops up and then wags that stupid finger, why, when Sting, um, you know, gets chopped and he does that stupid little flexing move and acts like it doesn't hurt, why do these people bother me so much? But Dusty Rhodes, he will pop up and, man, I'll be cheering right along with the crowd for it i don't know the exact answer but uh that is definitely the way i feel i don't know the answer either i I do have notes on him hulking up in the match (laughs) Uh, i do wonder because i feel the same way 
But I wonder if he dominated WWF for 10 years and he started doing it all the time and you knew every match was going to be that, I, I don't know if it would feel the same or not, you know. Yeah, that's uh, true. And I would say even for Dusty, I think uh, at the time it didn't always wear him well. I was looking uh, just during the show, actually, at his Wikipedia page. And I went down to uh, some of the awards and there's tons of positive ones, but also like late in his career, he was winning like most obnoxious, most overrated, mm. most uh, disliked by the readers. So I think eventually, even a guy as great as Dusty Rhodes, when he gets to like those late 80s, he will start to wear out his welcome just by booking himself too strong. So I guess it goes to show. It's true for Hogan, too. You can be so charismatic, so popular, but you can overdo it. So uh, it's very good in this match. I don't know. Maybe if I watch the complete... Dusty Rose, every match, eventually I would feel that way as well, because, yeah, anybody can overdo it, no matter how great they are. I don't want to say this either, but there's a little bit of when Hulk Hogan does it and he looks like Hulk Hogan, it almost feels like overkill. Okay, so you look better than everybody, you're bigger than everybody, and they can't hurt you. Like, when Dusty Rose does it, you're really asking the question, like, what is he pulling from? Because to me, yeah. like, Harley Race looks tougher than Dusty Rhodes if I have to make an assessment. Mm-hmm. So when Dusty starts coming back, like, it intrigues me. Like, what are you even pulling from right now? And I also don't know, and I don't think I would have a problem with hulking up if it didn't necessarily become the sequence where he ends a match. Like, I like that Dusty kind of hulks up, I think, somewhere in the middle of the match. Yeah. And then later on, like, Harley Race is probably just having his way with him again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because if it's just this thing where it's the gut and it's the warrior and it's the connection to the crowd, I can see Hogan doing it, Dusty doing it, Sting doing it because they're plugged in with the crowd. But, like, that doesn't also mean that now all of a sudden the other guy can't do anything and that you can do two moves and pin them. <laughs> No, that's a great point. A lot of it's about context and execution and the things that go around, go along around uh, that move. So um, there's a lot that goes into it. I don't think you can just say one thing or the other. But I will say also, I think a lot of it, and this is true not just of this, but I think of almost everything in life, it just depends on how bought in you are. Yes. Like if you are bought into Dusty Rhodes, you will probably give him a pass on anything he does almost because you are just bought in, you're excited. And if someone who you are not bought in on does the same thing, you'll be like, Psh, stop, you can't do that. That's stupid, you know? So it's really just about perspective a lot of the time. That's a great point. And we are all guilty of that, and it's 100% true. <laughs> uh, I will say, speaking of weird perspective, so, like, I grew up uh, in a Pentecostal church where we didn't even have a TV in our home until all of a sudden we did have a TV in our home. So I went from having never seen entertainment to, I think, the year I saw professional wrestling. So I don't know how much Turner had an impact, but, man, weirdly enough, like, when you only seen, like, two or three things, I had seen WCW, I had seen The Wizard of Oz, and I don't know why this is, but Harley Race, in my mind, is forever linked with The Wizard when he's in Kansas as the fortune teller. Like, the two of them to me, like, every time I think of Harley Race, I think of The Wizard as the fortune teller. And when I think of The Wizard, I think of Harley Race. And I have no idea why that is, but I thought about that again during this match. <laughs> what, a, what an interesting association. There's yeah. something, I don't know, maybe just because they both feel uh, ancient but powerful in a way. It might something. be. I don't know. There's some, there's some tie there in the mystic uh, area that we can't maybe fully pull out, and that's okay. Um Going back to the match, though, I'll say I love this. Um, 
they're at all these old matches they have like tables but they're not just tables to like use they're tables with like people at them and they have a purpose and yet sometimes people still get slammed onto those tables and i think dusty eats that table at one point Mm. i love that i love that moment uh i think that may be right around the time dusty really starts bleeding a lot and uh, Harley Race, and this is a great call by Vince. Vince says, Harley Race, he's just pouring it on. And then, mm. what a beautiful way to talk about that. <laughs> it is, and that's what Harley Race does. There are a couple of moments. Dust, at one point, Race is just laying on the mat, and Dusty runs at him and dives into his legs and folds him up for a roll-up just to try to get that victory real quick, but he doesn't get it. Uh, Dusty go, or Race goes to the second row for the headbutt and gets a big pop for going to the second row, so that also was interesting to see. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, you know, not my favorite match in the series, I don't think, but so you know, it's a great matchup to watch. It's a you can't not watch Race and Rhodes. This is gonna be the same thing I'll say about Flair and Rhodes, but some of these dynamics are just some of the best dynamics you're gonna get in wrestling. Yeah, they really are. I, I go as far as to say it could be in my top three. You know, there are definitely uh, one or two that are are clearly better in my mind, but uh, this is this is a very good one, I think. Um, we get to the end, and I gotta say, we some of these endings are not great, but I really love this ending. Um, yes. Dusty Rhodes is bleeding a lot. He's kind of stumbling around. He's trying to keep fighting. He he is up with Race, and he knocks him down, and he tries to follow up, but he stumbles and he falls through the ropes and he hits the floor. And the referee goes out, checks on him, and he calls the match off because even though Dusty wants to continue, he can't see, he can't really stand. He is a bloody mess. The fans are chanting bullshit. It is a chaotic ending. It is, again, sort of a non-finish, but, man, so, so well executed in this match that I really can only say positive things about it. I am in love with the finish because the referee tries to check his, his eye, and... Any professional wrestler knows that when the referee is trying to explicitly check you in a wrestling match and you're the challenger for the world title, it's not a good thing. So the minute that the referee tries to check him, he pushes the ref off and starts wrestling in fast-forward mode because he's trying to finish this match because he knows it's about to be called if he doesn't. And out of that energy, he just falls out of the ring through the ropes, and the referee was right, and and the match has to be called. Oh, so good. I, I will definitely always remember Dusty falling out of the ring that way and he had everything going his way he had race down he was in control but that blood in his eyes and his legs were weak and he just fell out and man it was so well done it was really beautiful you got to check out this match see the ending see how good it is because it is just so damn good yeah did a lot better than Lex Luger who just kept on racking his way to a to a to a cult matchup so what can you do what can you do? We can't all be as uh, tuned in as Dusty Rhodes at all times. Sorry, Lex. <laughs> okay, man. We're going all the way to New Japan Pro Wrestling. This is May 27th, 1980. It's a strange match on paper, man. It's Dusty Rhodes going one-on-one with Bob Backlund. Yeah, and once again here, Dusty challenging for the WWF Championship. Yeah. So we're actually three for three in these early matches um dusty going for world titles so uh that is that is very interesting and i think uh indicative of dusty rose very high standing in the wrestling world i don't even know how to talk about this matchup so this is going to be interesting to do yeah. uh it's interesting it's not really what i expected i have to say this is what i put on here and i hadn't seen it before and uh, i had it recommended and uh i knew it looked very interesting on paper. It was definitely not one that you would expect, but um, yeah, 
Uh, so we get to see Backlund, and a lot of what we know of Backlund, or at least what I know of Backlund, is, uh, you know, his 90s run, where he's kind of like the crazy old shooter. And um, I really enjoy that run. I have a soft spot for Backlund. I haven't seen a lot of him in this time. So, yeah, it's very interesting to watch this guy. He looks kind of weird. Uh, he's very pale. Uh, but his wrestling is, like, just very top-notch. He's incredibly strong. He'll at one point pick up Dusty Rhodes like he was a child mm -hmm. and just walk around the ring with him in a really incredible moment. Um, I'll say this match didn't end up being one of my favorites. I think it's very good in some ways. It's a little slow at times, perhaps. But it is very interesting uh, on both sides to kind of see what these guys can do in a different environment. Yeah. Um, some of my favorite matches are still to come, but this is interesting for me because I go, I come in as someone who's a Dusty Rose fan and someone who liked Bob Backlund as the crazy like heel that he later would become, mm. but didn't follow a lot of his stuff. And I've got to say, I don't know that I want to watch a lot more Bob Backlund matches necessarily, but man, there, there was like, three or four ways that he just blew me away with things to be impressed about. If you, if you want to find things to be impressed about, mm. uh, he has his way. Like half of the match is just him like running circles around dusty, having an answer for any question that dusty has. Like he has a counter for anything like dusty. I think for half a match cannot get into any offense because Bob Backlund just has him blocked in every way. Bob Backlund looks like he just made out of boulders. Like every bit of his yeah. body is just like, it's just like one boulder after another. And like Miss Fan said, it's, it's an atomic drop, but he's just going to pick Dusty Rhodes up on his shoulder and walk him around the ring, and it looks like it's nothing to him. So I went from thinking that Dusty Rhodes was just going to outclass and outshine this guy to I don't even know if it was two minutes or 12 minutes of Dusty Rhodes not being able to get in a single hole because Bob Backlund had something for everything that he was going to try. And that just makes so much sense because Dusty – if you let him, is going to outclass you. But if you never let him, then you might outclass him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely so. Uh, Backlund, um, yeah, like we talk, oh, uh, you know, it's like <laughs> we talk a lot about technical wrestling in the uh, wrestling community, but I, I often think we don't really know what we're talking about at times because we're like, oh, yeah, Ric Flair, what a technical wrestler, and, like, all these guys, and, like, we want to assign technical wrestling to people because it kind of feels right, and there's nothing wrong with that, but, man, you watch a match like this and you see, like, the holds that Backlund is applying and, like, just the level of technique that he is applying, and you're like, wow, maybe I was, talk maybe I was using the wrong word all this time because, yeah, like, the ways he will tie up uh, Dusty Rhodes and the sequences that he will do, they, they are just kind of on a different level than some of the other stuff that you might talk about when you think about technical wrestling. Yeah, this was, this felt like Kurt Angle to me is the thing that came to mind in that like someone who has done it for real and if he wanted to shut you down like there wouldn't be a conversation about it. I don't I don't know if this story is true because any, any story told by a wrestler you know, <laughs> but Kurt Angle claims that uh, Brock Lesnar early in his run, it got, he told, like, some of the boys kind of asked him, like, you know, what would happen between you and Kurt Angle because, you know, they both got the wrestler backgrounds. And he's like, oh, well, he couldn't do anything to me because I'm way too big for him. And Angle claims that he came up to, uh, Brock Lesnar and, and is like, 
I heard you said that like this is what you would do to me, so let, let's go ahead and do this and see what happens. And Brock's like, I'm not going to wrestle you in sandals. And he's like, well, let's wrestle barefoot. And he's like, I'm not going to wrestle you here. And he's like, okay, so watch, just watch what you say because it all gets back around. And so I don't know if that happened or not, but there is something about some of these guys. Like you could be Hulk Hogan, but you better watch your mouth around Bob Backlund. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah, I think uh, Hogan learned to watch his mouth around Harley Race at one point in another yeah. story. So yeah, like uh, there, there's truth to that. I think, man, I would, I wouldn't want to say the wrong thing about Backlund. I never heard that he was a mean guy, but I always heard he was kind of a weird guy. So like, I wouldn't want to risk that he would like maybe stretch me apart because I think he could do it. Like, yeah, this guy is like above Cena strong. He's like maybe Cesaro strong or something. Mm. He looks like he could just grab both ends of you and maybe just pull and you would be in two pieces then. So don't mess with Bob Backlund for God's sake. Yeah. And I, th- I think what I'm trying to say here too, is that it, I think the match that I imagine could exist where Bob Backlund, Dusty Rose, let's say comes into an arena in, in Texas or Florida or wherever. And all the fans are behind him and before Bob Backlund can even get off the ground, like, you know, the elbows start flowing and all of that. Or we could have a matchup where Bob Backlund can make Dusty Rose look like a jobber because Dusty Rose cannot get any offense in. And it just became very distinct and clear to me that whoever gets the edge uh, is going to dominate because there's not a matchup that is a half-Dusty, half-Bob Backlund matchup. (laughs) I think you're very right about that, yeah. Yeah. Funny enough, I think uh, Benjamin Button also said this, but I'm a big fan of Dusty making a lot of great points uh, in the lead up to this. I think he is the one who maybe said that Bob Backlund does feel more like an NWA guy than uh, he ever felt like a WWF guy. And man, I was really feeling that in this one. This feels like a guy who, uh, you know, should have been there with like Luthez or somebody mm. and in there and just like dominating that era of wrestling. Yeah, just watch the beginning of the match and. Like Dusty's gonna try to do that kind of the old like wrestle with them, chain wrestle, back and forth wrestle, and it's just you watch how Backlund puts his feet, how he positions his body, like he just shuts down, shuts down, shuts down, and then if you get him in something, he's got twelve different counters. So like in your imagination, like if I put you in uh, the arm, like if I if I get if I get your arm behind your back, you're gonna duck under and go around me if if you can do anything. But, like, when you can do 12 different things, and you might do the thing I don't even expect, then we're off into a different world than I even imagined. And so I like seeing Dusty get outclassed for a little while just because I wish that guys could have, have such distinct flavors yeah. that a main event guy could still outclass another one if the match doesn't go in their favor. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, 50-50 matches have become kind of the bane of wrestling, so it is really nice to see a match that goes a certain way just because it went a certain way. Like it's not the match maybe that you would expect. It surprises you a little bit. Like I said, I wouldn't say this is one of my favorite matches on the card, but it is uh, one of maybe the more interesting matches. It is different from the rest. Uh, We get to see Dusty and I think you reference he's kind of like halfway heelish a little Mm -hmm. bit here. Uh, Maybe just because things are not going his way. Um, in the end, uh, he will actually get himself disqualified. He will, uh, 
bloody Backlund and kind of hang him up in the corner and just start beating him up. He'll shove the referee away. He will get disqualified. But, um, yeah, no, uh, we will see a different Dusty Rhodes in this match than in any other match, I think. Yeah, that ending was wild. Like, Dusty just yeah. goes off on him. And that's all he could do at the point because, like, there's some back and forth as the match gets over. But at the same time, he's not taking the bell on this night. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And it's in Japan. And, you know, nobody's watching, you know, back in <laughs> wherever you got your character. So Dusty just gets out. He might be mad at, I don't know what year this is. So he might be mad at Race or he might be mad at Flair or he might be mad about the night. But he gets some of that aggression out uh, over in New Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> He really does, yeah, and this tape, again, we're very lucky to be able to see all these things. We live in a wonderful era for accessibility yeah. of wrestling because, yeah, nobody in Houston or in uh, Florida or in Georgia or in North Carolina was going to see this match, you know, um, until somebody traded it on a tape like many years mm -hmm. later, so who the hell cares about that? Um, yeah, so it's great. You get to really see Dusty uh, in a very different light, and uh, you really get to see Backlund just do some – Really impressive stuff. I'll say, like you, I don't know if I... Backlund's a little dry maybe to watch, like, his whole title reign, and I hear, like, it kind of maybe was a downturn for the WWF as it went on, and fans got tired of Backlund. But, man, like, just watching the odd Backlund match can be super fun for me, and I'm really looking forward to his run in the 90s as we get into that. Yeah, and Dusty Rose brings out an angry face Bob Backlund by the end of that affair. So. Yeah, yeah, which I think is not so easy to do. So that's um, that's a uh, impressive in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. So an interesting match again. I don't think either of us have it as our favorite for our taste, but you know, I think if your curiosity is there, you know, check it out because it is it's off the map, a little out of character, so you can see some funny things. And again, it is the guy who was the WWF champion against a guy who might have otherwise been. So that's also interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting indeed. Uh, one of the most interesting things for me on this set is the next thing that we're going to cover. And uh, this is really something. This is a great find by you. And I really got to specifically praise you, Shane, for uh, putting together some wonderful promos I don't know what it is. I have a mental block or something. When I try to find promos, I twist myself up. I always feel like I'm not finding the right one. So thank you for taking the promos, just throwing them on there. And really, God, they matched up so well. You did a wonderful job. Uh, we just found some absolute gems in these promos as well. And this one is called The Big Turn of 1980. And it is almost all Ole Anderson who's a guy that I am not even that familiar with and I like to be more familiar with. But, man, he will talk about... Uh, an angle that he recently executed. He will talk about other wrestlers. He will start this clip, I believe, arguing with Ron Simmons. I had no idea Ron Simmons was even around in 1980, but man, just like the connections in this next video put me in this time and place in a way that, uh, you know, just watching the matches, I think, would not have done. It was an amazing video to watch. I'm not sure... I don't think Simmons was around, so I don't think that was Simmons. Oh, who was it? I don't know. It sounded so much like Simmons. Maybe Butch Reed, maybe somebody similar to Simmons. I have no idea. It sure sounded like him, so this it felt my... like a lot of connections. Uh, at yeah, least I was not on. watching, so I don't know. There, I wanted to say Ernie Ladd, but I don't want to be wrong as well. Could have but... been. Could have been. Yeah, good point. Mm. I don't really know Ole Anderson either. Like, Ole to me has always been the other guy with the beard, even though that was Arn Anderson. Like, you know, so <laughs> I don't my, – my fandom doesn't really go that far before, uh, I want to say, 88 because basically I started watching 91. So I started 
getting tapes because I was a Luger fan and I realized, oh, he's Russell Flair on 17 pay-per-view, so something must have happened. Let me get those. <laughs> yep, sure. But, man, this is my introduction, I would say, really, to Ole Anderson as a character. And this is this, this is top-notch A+. Plus. Like, there's not an A, it's not an A-. minus. This is A-plus work in this video. Oh, absolutely so. He goes over... He's he's in front of one of these studio audiences and man, they are all over him. They're chanting, "We don't want to hear it." They're yelling over him. He is yelling back at them. It feels very uh, organic. Like this is what they were trying to capture when they did NWA Power, and you know they didn't really get this far quite, but that's what they were going for. You can definitely feel the energy of that studio audience going back and forth with this guy. So great stuff there. He is uh, talking about a lengthy angle he did where he uh, acted like a baby face, where he interacted with baby faces, even though he hated them. And he makes that so clear. He does such a great job of it. He did all of this to get in with Dusty Rhodes to become his partner. And he didn't even have to ask Dusty to be his partner. Dusty came to him because he had fooled him so entirely. And uh, all of this just to get revenge on Dusty Rhodes, who of course had so many issues with the Andersons. Uh, he even shows an old clip of Dusty after one of their old matches where Dusty says it'll never be over until the Andersons have broken necks. And guess what? Ole took him at his word because he orchestrated this huge plan where he would betray Dusty Rhodes. And man, it's just it's beautiful. And it shows you the strength, I think, of the booking in this era. And I don't know if Dusty put this together. Ole put this together. Somebody else. Who knows? I don't know. Somebody probably knows. But man, it is just great great stuff in this promo and he runs it down so well i have to give huge credit uh to ole and to everyone involved in this clip here no nah, this is <sighs> you would think a man explaining every detail about a hill turn might strike you as boring no way but <laughs> no this time but... yeah uh, the fans, like Miz fans, said are chanting, we don't want to hear it because they, 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 but they're in a passive position. Like, it's not, we don't want to hear it because you're boring. It's just, he is defeating them. Like, he's already betrayed Dusty Rose. He's put Dusty Rose down. And now he's talking with so much authority and so much power. And he's going to break down like a year to a year and a half. He lost, he lost friends that were heels. Uh, he, he had to hang out with boring baby faces that he didn't like being around, you know, and even people told him, like, you don't have to do all this. Like, you could just betray him right out the gate. You could do this. You could do that. But there is a plan in motion. And then he says, like, you can't even blame me. You don't get to boo me. You don't get to be against me because I am going to show you a video from the time where I used to feud with Dusty Rhodes, where Dusty Rhodes said that it could never be over between them until someone's injured, till they're put out. It can never be over. So, yeah, they were friends after that. Yeah, they were together after that. But Dusty Rhodes said it could never be over. So why is anyone surprised when I betray him? I am just continuing what he said himself could never be over. Man, would they take that to heart? I'm thinking of Arn and Dustin, and I'm thinking uh, <laughs> nowadays we got Arn hanging around with Cody, and uh, if you think that might not go sour at some point, man, it really may never be over between the Rhodes and the Andersons. Holy smokes. Uh, it's a family affair. He's talking about Gene Anderson. He says Gene couldn't even be around this promotion because it made him sick that I was uh, even pretending to be with Dusty Rhodes. 
Uh, he talks about Lars Anderson, a name that I have heard, but I forgot about, to be honest. Another Anderson who is now a babyface, and he says uh, even he's family, but I can't trust him. And he, he condemns Lars Anderson. Man, it's a whole family affair going on here. It is. And it, even Dusty said in that original, until you have a broken back or neck. Mm-hmm. And then Oli says when he had betrays him, he was telling him, like, when I was kicking that face, I said, you remember you said it better than anyone. So he's like, even the promo that he's giving us, he was giving that promo to Dusty as he was betraying him. So <laughs> that's amazing. Gordon Soley gets hot because, like, you know, this has been a baby face. And then he lets Gordon Soley know, I don't have to pretend to be your friend anymore either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Gordon Soley, he does a wonderful job in here. Uh, everybody does. And, yeah, like – <laughs> Look at the danger of this era. We, we've talked so much about how baby faces have privilege and they kind of speak out of turn and they can make threats and they can say outlandish things and no one really uh, holds them responsible for it. Well, hell, somebody held Dusty responsible for his baby face words this time. He said it would never be over. And man, Ole took him at his word and said, OK, it'll never be over. And now I'm going to, you know, orchestrate plans for the rest of your life to get you. So, man, that is really something. Yeah, there's never a higher moment for a heel than right after they betray somebody because you know what the trajectory of that is. So you better <laughs> milk it. And Oli says to the fans that they, oh, when they're chanting that they want a little relief, well, shut up or go home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, incredible interaction between Ole and the crowd here. He really – he was a star of this and um, makes me want to see more of Ole Anderson even more than I already did. Yeah, it's an amazing performance. Like I said – yeah, I know him more for like it's like we had only seen Dusty Rose in '88 and 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 chose his whole career off that. Yeah, this is more prime stuff. We cut over to Ivan Koloff. Um, <laughs> he was very impartial as the referee. He, he lets us know. So he says, yes, he is wearing an incredibly evil coat. You <laughs> see this coat, and it is the most evil thing a person could wear. Um, <laughs> and it he, is. yeah, like he be, he was the the guest referee in this match where Ole betrayed Dusty, and uh, he he says he's very impartial. You could judge for yourself, but he he says, and I think very genuinely that he never suspected that Ole was going to betray Dusty. He really puts over how great this plan was, and then he says the greatest thing. He says, when I saw Ole was attacking Dusty, it created such joy in my heart that I had to join in. It was like old times when he and I used to be allies. So, man, you know what? I totally believed Ivan in this promo. I think he was telling the, the, the God's truth. Oh, I believe him, too. And you're so right. He has, he has the evil coat on, but yet he is talking like the most uh, beautiful thing that could happen in pro wrestling just happened that everybody would love. Like, you know... It's almost like a religious experience, like this beautiful thing happened, and I had such joy in my heart. And, like, if you don't know he's evil and he's got an evil coat, you almost, you know, you almost don't believe, you almost believe him, and then you're like, wait a second, that's really evil because <laughs> you're being really evil with a smile on your face. <laughs> it's good work by Ivan. It's great. Uh, Benjamin Button, again, has been bigging up Ivan Koloff, I think, for a while, and, uh, you know, we're going to see this promo, we're going to see a match, and uh, I think it's definitely going to come across that this guy was uh, very talented, very good at what he did. He brought a whole lot to the table. I've seen Ivan in many a Walmart in North Carolina back in my day, back when I was there. 
Uh, oh, that's beautiful. It, it's beautiful. Like as a kid, like he'd be signing autographs, but then as an adult, he I, I would see him just shopping and he'd be writing one of those. You know, I, I just didn't talk to him. But like, it's a weird thing to be in the middle of your week shopping as an adult, and then all of a sudden you need to step out of the way because Ivan Koloff's riding through the aisle. <laughs> Man, I thought you meant you saw like toy figures of him. You actually really you saw yeah. Ivan Koloff just like that. Man, that's that's wow, that's something. <laughs> No, I've, I've seen Ivan probably three or four times. Uh, Did you ever talk to him? Was, it, I talked to him when he was signing autographs one time as a kid, and it okay. was just, it was just, uh, uh, as weirdly, as very similar to Benjamin Button, almost like we were there together or something. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. like, we we were like, or I was, I can't speak for him, his experience, but like, I was a super mark who had only been watching wrestling for a while, so I was like, is, is wrestling real? Probably because like my parents had probably told me it wasn't, and I still thought it was. And he was still like, here's my scars. Like, what does this look like? And, uh, but then like, he, he really, like the way that the last thing you would want to hear as a wrestler is probably a fan coming up to you to talk about whether it's real or not. We wanted to talk to him about wrestling, but he kept going on about Dusty Rose trying to hit on his wife and like, Dusty's not a good person and you should not like Dusty Rose. And so it was like, you know, we weren't talking about what he wanted us to talk about, and he wasn't talking about what we wanted to talk about. It was a very, very interesting conversation for a young child who just started watching wrestling to have. <laughs> I, I have to question why Ivan Kolov is sharing these stories of adultery with children, but, you know, I guess uh, you do what you got to do in the wrestling business. So, man, that's really something. Um well, 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 credit to you for having that conversation. I never know what to say to wrestlers half the time, so uh, at least you tried. I don't know if you got what you wanted, but that's that is that is something. That's a story to tell. That's one of the only times I have. Like I remember walking into an arena for a nitro, and Arn Anderson was like a couple of feet in front of us signing books, um, wow. and I didn't even try to talk to him. Like it. I don't know what it was. I, didn't, I wouldn't even look at him. Like, I don't know if I thought something bad was going to happen or I was going to lose something, but like, he's one of my favorite wrestlers ever, but like, I just couldn't handle the context of it. <laughs> I totally get that. I've seen many of my favorites in person, and I, I've tried to talk to him at times, and, you know, it's kind of nice and rewarding, and it's kind of awkward, too, and you never know what to say, because what are you going to say? Like, oh, you're great. I love you. You know, I love what you do. Like you made an impact on my life. And like, that sounds nice. But like, how do you say that to another human who's right there? Like, it's not right that they should be there. Like, it's kind of wrong. Like they should be on my TV and not exist in real life. So I don't know. Like I always try to show my appreciation, but it never feels like the right thing. So, you know, it's just always awkward, I think. Yeah, because if you if you let them know how much they mean to you, well, of course, like they're that's why they're at a table signing things and you're <laughs> and you're in the line. So it's like it, it's the obvious. So you can never convey it the way you want to. Yeah. But at the same time, and that's why I think, and everybody's different. But for me, I I, I can appreciate their work without like having to engage them. So a lot of times I don't. Right. But man, it's something about seeing them. You know, I think that's the truth about the whole world that we live in is different to see someone from afar on TV, to see them in person. So yeah. I think if it does anything, there's this like awe or respect, like Arn Anderson, for example, like he's a man that doesn't look a lot different than my dad, but yet he's on TV doing the things that he's doing. <laughs> and so like on TV, they're both rightly and wrongly like beyond human. But there's one thing is when you had to stand in a line you know, and talk to Ivan Koloff and he's not wearing his like, evil jacket you know it's just like these people 
outside their storylines, all they did was travel from city to city to city in cars and cars and cars and planes and planes and planes and get beat up and beat up and beat up and hurt and hurt and hurt. Yeah. You know, and so if it does anything for me that's super positive, it's just is like, I respect you deeply as a human being and I don't all the time appreciate what you did for me to have a little entertainment in my life. Yeah. But you can't say that either because it just, yeah. it doesn't sound right. Nothing sounds right. If anybody out there listening knows how to talk to wrestlers in person, please tell me because God, I have no idea. But yeah, no, everything you're saying, I'm feeling very strongly for sure. I think the only successful conversations I ever had regularly was with Alex Shelley on Twitter, and I think the only way it worked was if we never talked about wrestling. <laughs> it like helps he, if it's on Twitter as well, for sure. Yeah, like he loves anime and video games, so if we talked about that, like he would talk for a while. But if I ever tried to talk about wrestling, then he wouldn't like have anything to do with it. He's a great guy. I think he 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 did a bit of wrestling, I think this year or last year or something. But um, he's also in the medical field somewhere, so I think yeah. he's doing a lot of good work right now. And you just you have to show some love to Alex Shelley, I think. Absolutely. It's, these are appropriate conversations, though, because we're getting closer to the stuff that just put me in a world that that I, that I kind of grew up in and I forgot I ever experienced. And so there were some storms, some in, internal storms with watching these shows and going back to these things. But these people, man, these NWA shows, especially when we get into the NWA yeah. The crowd, like, if you're in the crowd, you're a character in the storyline. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it's not like chance in unison. It is one individual over here is about to go to war with Ric Flair, and someone over here is mocking Dusty Rhodes. Like, it's very individually driven, and you will, they call out the wrestlers, and the wrestlers will call them out back. And it's, it's so chaotic. And, I like, half the reason that half the people I know – preferred WWF over NWA and WCW is for the same reason that I preferred NWA and WCW because WWF was so polished and controlled and I get that at times that makes the other product looks like like inferior and it, it's a real thing and sometimes it's a problem but then there's other times when it's right and it's good and the arena is loosed and the wrestlers are loosed and the storyline is loosed and maybe because I grew up in a Pentecostal church like when I grew up, if people were not shouting and yelling and larger than life and using metaphors, and if it didn't look like the building was going to explode from just emotion piling up from the floor to the ceiling, whether it be church or whether it be wrestling, I wasn't having it, apparently. So when all you know is old school NWA and Pentecostal churches, it's hard to function in like normal. Uh, well, that was a good technical match. Like That's just not what, you, what you're coming out of. <laughs> Oh my, yeah, no, I mean, you are, huh, you're right about that, um, I don't know, so much, you said internal storms, I don't know if I got the same ones exactly, but just a lot uh, of feelings definitely coming out of watching through this series of matches and promos. Yeah, and we're in the heart of, uh, I think, as we do this Oli stuff, I think Oli's going to appear on our screen one more time, and then Dusty Rose is going to appear and then we are moving into um, the Koloff match. But a lot of this is now Dusty and Flair and Dusty and the Horsemen. And it's just to feud so long and to still draw money. There's going to be a contract signing later. And it almost feels like 
when Dusty's speaking, J.J. Dillon is just disgusted and doesn't look at him. When J.J. Dillon's speaking, Dusty's disgusted and doesn't look at him. They've heard every lie that, that the other guy could ever tell, you know, for so many <laughs> years. And it's like, how do you do these things? And when I go back to my childhood, we referenced soap operas before because, like, my mom watched every afternoon soap opera there was. So when I wasn't in school, like, that was on. And some of those soap operas had villains who had been the, the main villain for like, I think maybe two, three, five, seven, seven years. And they've died and come back to life and they've done everything. And somehow the credibility is still there. And that's what I felt with this is like, which I don't see that much anymore. But what, what do you even make of feuds that have lasted for eight, nine, ten years? And that people have been sent to the hospital and world title matches have been decided and people have been bested. And it goes on and it doesn't lose steam. If anything, it gains steam. Like That pot, whatever ingredients are in that pot, we need to stick our hands into that pot even if we burn the skin off of our hands and pull out the substance so that someone can examine it, get every ingredient, extract it, and bring it in some way into the world that we live in. Not that there's not amazing things happening, but man, I want one space and I will be the one I will stick my hands in and lose the skin off my hands if someone else is willing to extract that and give me a place where I can go and see that and witness that and feel that on a regular basis. That Dusty Rose energy is getting into you right now. I can feel it. <laughs> it's hard. Enough, that's incredible man. stuff. That's great, man. I will. That that's really something. <sighs> Dear God, when, when the only. Oh, God. And Benjamin Button, we, he's going to get referenced a lot, but, man, he's been pushing this stuff for a while because he's gone back yeah. farther than some of us, myself especially. And Most of us, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just impossible, though, when you're not watching it. Like, you can tell me a hundred times, like, oh, man, check out Ole Anderson. And I'm like, I saw him on a shoot, and he seems like an angry man. Does that count? <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't count. Like, watch this stuff in context. Watch it in their prime. And, man, I just love, too, that they're going, like, Ole to Koloff back to Ole, and then they're going to go to Dusty. Like, some of these television shows, mm. like, when we get to Tolly and uh, Dusty and that TV show, that thing is just a gigantic – it's like one of those sandwiches. The episode is like one of those sandwiches that if you can eat it all in, like, 30 minutes – you get it for free and you never can and you almost die from trying, but you still are glad for the experience. And it's just like, how would you ever change the channel while that's on? Because mm. we are unraveling and I, I need to stop because that's a future thing, but we're going to accuse the five time referee of the year of maybe being paid off without saying it. <laughs> like there's just like storyline and storyline and storyline. And it all matters. Like everybody is trying to save face. Like Ric Flair is the dirtiest player in the game, but if you if you, if if he loses face, like he's gonna be just as mad as a baby face. Like all of these guys have reputations and they have identities and they have characters and they are easily offended and they're easily put off. They don't remember what they did to you, but by God, they remember what you did to them. I just don't know how you change the channel on this stuff. It's just so good. Now, there is some really incredible stuff here, and it really impressed upon me as I watched through some of these matches and storylines how much richer this would probably be if you were able to really watch the whole product, which more and more as I watch wrestling, I think that's the only way to really fully experience is to kind of watch through sequentially a lot of different shows. 
Um, and I don't know what the availability is of uh, the NWA shows around this time. It's probably not great, but man, if we ever do NWA, the Legacy Series, I'm going to have a lot of fun digging up as much stuff as I possibly can because this is a rich, rich era of wonderful stuff that is making wrestling so hot that they'll really have to nationalize. And, you know, wrestling will be so popular all over the country. This is why one promotion eventually is going to take over, you know, everything, basically. So, yeah, no, it's a rich, rich time for wrestling. And uh, I hope to be able to explore it even more closely one day. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Man, the details. Ole gets into, like Gene and others told him, mm. you know, just ask Dusty to be your partner. And it just didn't feel right at the time. Like, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Time went by. Time went by. And then the satisfaction, when he's already being booed by the entire arena, the satisfaction on his face when, lo and behold, he never asked Dusty to be his partner. And then Dusty Rose asked him to team up. And Dusty Rose wanted it to be in a fence or a cage. And, like, you watching the wheels turn, like, okay, you want me to be your partner and you want us to be locked in together. And it is almost like he is saying, and this goes with Ivan's joy, like the Lord above blessed my good work and sent Dusty Rhodes to me and put us in a cage. And this man, again, these guys are acting like the greatest babyface victory has been accomplished. And why shouldn't they? The heels are not supposed to all sit up there and be like, I'm a bad person and everything I do is bad. <laughs> like, this is a man that really believes that Dusty Rhodes got what he deserved and that Dusty would have done it to him eventually. And he is just making the fans eat this. So, again, like it rises as high as it can rise, and then we switch over to Dusty Rose. So let 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 Ivan rise and fall into Ivan. Ivan rises, go back to Oli. Oli rises, and now we switch to Dusty Rhodes. Oh, it's great stuff with Oli. I got to praise him again just before we switch over here because, yeah. man, yeah, just the heel who believes in his own uh, – I wouldn't even say righteousness because I don't think Ole would yeah. say that he is a good person or he did the right thing. You know, he, he did the thing that was right for him at that time. And the truth that we've always talked about is baby faces do the same thing. You know, is it a baby face thing to say this won't be over until I break your neck, and I cripple you and I kill you? Is that a good the thing a good righteous person would say? I don't think so. If you say that to somebody, guess what? They're probably going to uh, do something to you as well at some point. They won't just take that. So, yeah, no, just the emotional content, the the creative content of this whole story is amazing. It's so good. And then you go over to Dusty, and it's incredible because Dusty maybe even tops everything we've talked about because his promo is incredible. He says people were saying they told him so. He says he doesn't blame anybody but himself. His face looks wrecked. He looks terrible. He talks about walking through the airport, fans begging him to go to the hospital. He can't breathe out of his nose, but he won't give them the satisfaction of going to the hospital because the heaviest thing is about to come down on them. He is not asking for help, but he tells us that in the Omni, Andre the Giant will be with him, and I am ready to buy a ticket right now mm -hmm. to go back 41 years, 41 years to <laughs> see this match that I don't even know if this match was good or not, but this whole thing has sold me so much that I just couldn't be more excited. This is, this is incredible stuff. This is maybe the best promo stuff that we will cover in this whole episode, and that's saying a lot. Yes, my God, that's good. 
people were making fun of Ric Flair in a prom in a, a shoot because he cries all the time. Well, <laughs> yeah, apparently if you come out of this era, it makes you want to cry because I want to cry right now, Miz fan. So, oh, you know, man. it's something rich. They say the devil is in the details. My fandom is in the details, and Dusty Rhodes is in the details, and Dusty Rhodes is talking about these fans who are just as annoying to him as they are to Ole Anderson because he <laughs> is in the airport, and he's trying to get from here to there, and they're begging him to go to the hospital. Look at yourself. You can't walk. Your face looks like this, but he says, I will not give Ole the satisfaction. That is an amazing thing when this is rooted in reality and you can see the scars and you can see the damage and you know that man should have been in the hospital. But you know even more that what it means when he says, I would not give him the satisfaction. Oli's not hurting by you not going to the hospital, but by God, you're still not going to the hospital. And it makes sense and you understand why. And there's only one thing you can do in a feud to get back at somebody and that's to get back at them. So you have to be agitated and you have to be hurting and you have to be unsettled. And if you're not unsettled, then I'm not unsettled. And if you're not ready for that match, I'm not ready for that match. But if you are and if you sell me, there is nothing that I will not pay to be there with you. And Dusty Rhodes is doing that right now. And he is a poet. And the way he speaks, he says, I need no help. I want none. I ask none. And short, punched sentences. But yet Andre the Giant will be there. And what a thing. You understand that he wants no help. And yet Andre the Giant will be there. This is one of the best. This is a short video telling a story and see how lost you can get in it. See if you can drown yourself in it until you come back and don't know where you are. Get baptized in this kind of storytelling and come up new. Ah, oh, man, that's uh it's a rich era. It's a beautiful time. It's um, like I said, I would go back 41 years to uh, to see this stuff happen. It's just huh, there's maybe nothing quite like it. Dusty Rhodes, he really was born to be the guy walking down that dusty street with a gun strapped to his hip against, you know, God knows how many uh, villains and black hats are standing, you know, in the buildings around him. But, man, he'll walk down that street. And he'll 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 draw that gun, man. And he doesn't matter how beat up he is, how it just oh, he's iconic, man. He's iconic. He is. We're about to go to a coffin match, and it, it hits me as you say that. I'm surprised that we don't have more coffin matches and more loser leave town because if it's a western, you got to kill that person yeah. or you have to banish them from that town. Otherwise, it never ends. And the only problem. And I'm not advocating for this, but the only problem with Dusty Rose and Ric Flair is that neither killed the other <laughs> because you're not going to end. Ric Flair has to go to WWF or Dusty has to go to WWF. You really have to put them in a coffin or you have to send them out of town because these feuds never end. And I understand even I think it's the respect I have. We, oh, we know Ole was trying to do a dirty thing, but at the same time. Don't you know that even when Dusty and Oldie, even if they didn't know they were going to feud again, they knew they were going to feud again. Yeah. Like if they stay in the business long enough, whatever caused those problems to happen are going to come back again. 
and these are the grudge matches, and this is the cowboy who has no gun. And we are richer and best because they don't have guns, because it does not end. And we have to find out what would happen if the sheriff of the town can't kill you and he can't send you out of town. It's a lot more difficult to run the town like that when the hill can just set up shop in a building next to the sheriff and you can't do anything about it. And at times half the town likes the hill better than they do the sheriff. So if anything, pro wrestling is richer for that inability. But man, that... Uh, Dusty Rhodes always coming back though. Like I know what you're talking about. Dusty Rhodes offended and hurt and coming back to get his justice is a prime. I was born for this Dusty Rhodes. Absolutely. I don't think he ever says it in so many words, but about half these promos, he's basically saying you should have killed me. And (laughs) because you didn't, you know, now hell's going to come and rain down on you. And that, God, like, you could make a million movies out of that, and they have. And Dusty, man, he exudes that at every moment. Yeah, and that's why the Four Horsemen with a manager had five people at all times. Because, number one, it took five people to put Dusty Rhodes down. Mm -hmm. But if you're Ric Flair, you can't walk around, like, bragging and styling and profiling if you're not surrounded by at least four other people around you. If it was Ric Flair by himself. Like this feud would be too hot for that, but you understand why this man walks around with a man called it the Enforcer, and then at other times Barry Windham and Sid Justice. Like he has got to be surrounded because his deeds are so dirty that he can't. He, he does the dirty deeds so that he can style and profile and live that party life, but he can't live that party life because he's done the dirty deeds unless he surrounds himself by a stable. And so back then, you don't just have a stable because you need to market something or you need to do this, that, and the other. You've got to have a stable in order to survive the deeds that you did to get yourself where you wanted to go. Yeah, the horsemen may wear their suits. They may act fancy, but, man, they're a band of outlaws like anybody else. God, I'm just getting the cowboy vibes all over this town, all over this place. It's great stuff. We got to keep moving because – we got some of the best stuff yet to come. I don't want to run out of time, but man, this is rich stuff. Yeah, so Dusty and Ivan in the strangest <laughs> coffin matchup. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, they try hard to explain the rules. I'm not sure even now I understand it. It seems like kind of like you got to pin your opponent. That doesn't end the match, but kind of after you pin them, you can throw them in the coffin. But you can also pin them a bunch of times. I don't even know all, all the details even now looking back, but uh, still. This is an era where you can kind of get the feeling of the match more than the rules, and man, you'll still get something out of it. This is not probably one of my favorites on the show, but still, like, there's some really good stuff in here. Yeah, uh, it's not one of my favorites either, but it's, it's curious, and <laughs> all the comments it seemed like is like, oh, stupid rules. Like, you pin people as many times as you want to, but it has nothing to do with the match, so why pin them anyway? And while I agree on the technical side, you look at the pride of these men and you don't and you don't think it matters at all that they're getting pinned two or three times by the other guy? Absolutely. Yeah. No, it matters uh to them for sure. Um, I was worried that they're gonna put their eye out or worse on on that that random coffin. They put the coffin in the middle of the ring and wrestle around it. Oh yeah. Certainly um as fans of Shawn Michaels, you have to worry about anybody taking bumps around a coffin. You yeah. know what that can do to a person, so I don't know. They they work it uh, safely enough. Um, it's definitely it probably wasn't the best idea because I think it makes the match more awkward at times. But uh, mm-hmm. even so, like 
they put it over well. Ivan Kolov is God. He is built. You talk about boulders <laughs> with uh, Bob Backlund, and Kolov yeah. has the same build, I think, in many ways. Um, and uh, yeah, you just get a lot of good stuff in here. You know, some of it is basic, but man, Ivan Kolov. I'll say this for him: probably has the best. Most believable double axe handle ever, because I think if that guy hit a double axe handle on you, you'd probably go in the ground up to your waist. Yeah, it's it's wild. I also love the fact that they pin each other equally. So like, yeah, they it, do. You know, so respect. You know, that that's showing respect to the heel because it could easily be that. Oh, but I'm a baby face, so maybe you can beat me one time, but we can't go back and forth like that. But there's none of that. Yeah, no, none at all, none at all. Um, I won't dwell on the match. Uh, it, there's some nice, uh, bloody moments that you can appreciate. Uh, don't worry too much about the rules. In the end, uh, Ivan Kolov tries to jump on Dusty on the coffin. Dusty moves. Ivan, uh, cracks his shin on the coffin, which looked painful as hell. I hope he was okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Dusty does shove him in the coffin and the referee rings the bell. So, uh, it is not America that will be buried today. It is Russia instead. So, um, you know, this is definitely an era where these kind of angles work a bit better, certainly far better than the one we're covering in 1991. Absolutely. Ivan also does a beautiful little backspin to throw himself into the coffin that I didn't expect from him. So, <laughs> yeah. Then it was, yeah. I'll just say this as well for Ivan. Um, I very much appreciate it that he did not uh, drone on in a weird voice and make weird faces about uh, how much he hated America. Like, he was very much like his own person. We saw him do that promo and he didn't even really talk about Russia. He was like a whole person. So please take notes, 1991 on that aspect. Yeah. He, I, he is very joyous is all I got from him. <laughs> yeah, very joyous, man. Not sticking his chin out either. So it's also a little awkward. They haven't closed the coffin. So like you put the put in the coffin, the match is over and they kind of just have to lay there. I guess they accept their defeat. And I think they might get carried out in the coffin, but we didn't see that part. Yes. They, they mentioned that a few times. So I don't know why you just sit in that coffin Maybe too tired. Maybe Dusty elbowed him again or something. I don't know. But, um, but, but, but still an enjoyable match and uh, worth checking out if you have the time to do so. Yeah. It's, again, some of this is a little off the beaten path, but you'll see things that you haven't necessarily seen before or don't expect to see. <laughs> Indeed. And I'll just say it one more time and I'll stop saying it. But, man, how cool is it that we can go watch this random coffin match from an NWA Houston show? In 2021, from 41 years ago, it's it's incredible. I, I love, there's one thing I love about this era of wrestling, is you can watch anything, anything almost, in the whole world, if you look hard enough. Yeah, it deserves to be said, because, you know, sometimes we, we do. Um, I think we, we take it for granted. I was just yeah. thinking, if we tried to do this show 10 years ago, we we couldn't make it anywhere. You know, what would we do? Like buy DVDs or something? Like it it's absurd how easy it is now compared to even like recent history of trying to go back and watch this stuff. I've read before about inconsiderable things and it's like good things in your life that you no longer consider because they're in your life, but if they weren't in your life you would all of a sudden consider them and value them again. Mm. I think that's one of them. Like we have access, like it's unbelievable. Uh you go back, man. Pro wrestling could suck at times in the '90s, and it, it would still be a week before I get to see any more of it. And you just got you got you got to look forward to it, and that's all you, that's all you got. So, <laughs> so true. Um, all right, we move on to the next promo. Uh, we jump in time to 1986. 
Uh, there's a lot of great stuff, obviously, in between 1980 and 86, but just, just how the chips fell, uh, we're making that jump. So watch more Dusty on your own time, and maybe we will as well. But uh, we go to 1986. Dusty Rhodes does a promo, now with Baby Doll. And I must admit my ignorance, I only know so much about this uh, Baby Doll character and storyline. Uh, this is a promo where Dusty really mostly just talks about how great he is, how he's going to try to be world champion during the Great American Bash. So not the most... Um, content-driven promo, but still a good one from Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, I think he says something like, I'm the only person ever to walk into Helmsley Palace in T-shirt and jeans while everyone else stands in line. Mm, and yep. what hit me was Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes come from completely different worlds, but they desire and acquire the same things. <laughs> So that's the thing you have to realize, and that's what makes Dusty a contradiction because he is in one way the common man and the American dream and the embodiment and representation for the common man. But at the same time, he wines and dines like Ric Flair. He's a world champion like Ric Flair, and he enjoys being that like Ric Flair. So they come from different places, but they arrived in the same spot. And so while standing in the same spot that they both desire – they bring different uh, values and tendencies, but man, they both like Ric Flair doesn't want to go back to where he was. Dusty doesn't want to go back. They want to win that spot, and oh man, it's just it's just something because they're so different and they're so similar at the same time. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, they are. I was thinking that too, and it's funny. Ric Flair, he has to put on his suit, he has to wear the watches, get the limo, get the plane, get all this stuff, get the women to go into these places. Dusty Rhodes, he can really just show up in jeans and a T-shirt. They'll let him in just the same. So yeah. that, that's got to stick in the, the craw of a guy like Ric Flair. Absolutely. It's, it's an amazing thing to, to behold. Uh, this is also when Ric Flair and the Horseman put Dusty Rhodes out, and he came back and he gave what might be the most well-known promo in the history of a man doing promos and being known for them. He does the Hard Times promo. Indeed, I think 1985, so just the year before, and uh, I think we all know Flair and Dusty, they feuded uh, probably for about a decade at least, probably through the whole 1980s, so a lot of stuff going into there, but yeah, this is maybe the most famous moment of all, uh, Hard Times. Man, I don't even know what to say about it. I think everyone has probably listened to it. It's a beautiful promo. It's amazing. It is one of the most well-known promos of all time. It is dripping with sincerity and energy and feeling and heart and it just it goes out beyond wrestling to the soul of america to the soul of real life i think and man there's just something about this promo if you've never seen it then man you must rectify that immediately because hard times really is just a beautiful promo yeah it's another thing that where you see kind of what Hulk Hogan pulled from is that if you want to be popular in this world what i don't care what you're doing if you can give people something to rally around, yeah, like not enough people understand that. If you give, like human beings are looking for something. Even in politics, I see, like over time, the group that's winning is usually the group that's like giving someone something to rally around, and the group that's responding to what they're rallying around is on the losing end. It's everywhere in life. Give them something, and like a heel, Ric Flair is almost the opposite. It's like here's something you would like to rally around, but you can't have this. You can't have access to this. So it's the same thing. The hard times is just it's a great invitation from Dusty Rhodes. And it almost feels like this man is getting closer to the end of his career. And 
it's this last great effort and maybe he can't do it by himself anymore. But if we all pull together, if we all come together, we can win this thing for me. And in winning this thing for me, if it can push back out for you and you can have one win at work or one win at home or one win here, right? We all might be able to pull everything together and get a little bit of something good right in the midst of a hard time. It's masterful, masterful stuff. I know you've probably seen it before, but it's always worth watching again. Absolutely. Just uh, incredible stuff right here. And it, it sets us up very well for our next match, which I think um, is one of the best matches that we're going to cover on here and probably the iconic, the best and most um, foundational Ric Flair versus Dusty Rose match, at least that I have seen. It is the Great American Bash. Uh, it is July 26th. 1986, it is a steel cage, it is the NWA Championship, it is Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes, and it's really amazing to me, because I first watched this match many years ago, and it was on some, you know, it was like the worst video quality imaginable when I watched it, uh, my brother would call it dunked underwater, you know, like, it's just <laughs> like blobs of color, practically, and yet, even then, I had such an appreciation of this match. I thought it was so great. And now you can watch it on WWE Network in incredible crisp quality. And then just, it's it's a great match. It's a special match. It's one that you should go out of your way to see, I think. Yeah. I can't even say if it's the best match because of the Tully matches. So if I'm rating them on points. <laughs> I, know, I think you can just share now. It's the Tully match that you... Uh, really had this great feeling about and I get that and that may be even better but this this is a great match as well you want no this is the match man this is the match oh my god this is the match that like reinvented your fandom oh my god that's so amazing please talk about the match that's so great and I don't like like I'm saying I don't even know this better than Tully and Dusty but mm. I went into I've never seen this match before somehow like I've never I've never seen this matchup before and I went into it, you know, with no great expectation because I've been mad at Ric Flair for a long time for the things he did to Lex Luger. So, you know, it's hard for me to get get on board with him. But, man, it starts. Dusty Rose is in that cage. He's the challenger. He's the hungry one. And Ric Flair takes his time to come down the ringside. So the, immediately, here's what you need to understand for the Mystics fandom. You could have the greatest pure match of all time. And it wouldn't be better than a good match with equal character and personality and storytelling for me. Like there are lots of things that need to go into a match. And so Ric Flair, the match has already started when Ric Flair is taking his time and he's in his robe and he's, he's the champion and he's flexing with his slow entrance and Dusty Rose is pacing. The match is already underway. Oh, man, we can just break this match up down as we go, because I don't know if I'll be able to get back into what I got into, and I don't know where it will be. But you have to understand, for me to watch two people who so know who they are, like nobody knows who they are in the wrestling business any more than Ric Flair or Dusty Rose, and nobody knows who they are against each other. Ric Flair is calling out fans, like I think one in the front row, one later on way into the crowd. Like you don't even get to speak in the fifth row without Ric Flair hearing it. Like everything is involved, man. This is just, I'll just start with that foundation. 
that the best matches for the Mystic are not just the technical points. It is the it's the wrestling, but it's the personalities, it's the characters, it's the dynamic, it's the arena, it's the feel, it's the vibe, it's the atmosphere, it's all of those things together. Absolutely, and this is just the perfect storm, I think, because, yeah, you have Dusty, who is just unbelievably popular. You have Ric Flair, who probably for about 95% of the 80s, you know, was a NWA champion and just held on to that belt against all challengers almost and, and always got it back. But here, man, just like there's a special energy, I think, around Dusty, the fighting they get into it's great you've got it's 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 nothing i think the amazing thing is it's nothing you wouldn't expect like they don't do anything that was like so shocking to me that i never expected they would do it like it's the match you would expect but turned up to like the most perfect like the highest possible tier of what these two guys could do with each other you know there's blood there's stooging there's chops and elbows and there's grit and there's fight and there's people smashing off at cage walls there's people hanging upside down uh, just by like the the rick flair spends a chunk of this match just hanging upside down mm-hmm. outside the cage with dusty just barely holding him in and man if you let him go i think rick flair would just fall on his head and die but Dusty Rhodes is not going to let him get away like that. He wants to beat him for that title and not just crash outside of the ring. And man, just there's something just really special about this match. Yeah, maybe just maybe in a world where characters are consistent and storylines are consistent, we don't celebrate because the match surprised us. We celebrate because it didn't surprise us. Mm. Was it everything I thought it was going to be? Yes, celebration. Because if you like what's going on, you're not looking for something else to happen. And so these guys just dig down in who they are. Like I wrote, I, I referenced the book Pride and Prejudice, just the just the themes of Pride and Prejudice, because it just I forget how much Ric Flair elevates himself. Like there's something so obnoxious about the fact that he was a young guy who wanted to be Dusty Rhodes. And now he has elevated himself so high that he looks down on Dusty Rhodes. And there's just this whole field. There are women in the crowd screaming for Ric Flair at times. So, again, Dusty Rhodes, like there, there, there's just this thorn in the side of Dusty Rhodes that only Ric Flair knows. He knows where that button is. And he knows how to push down on it. And when Flair is dominating Dusty Rhodes, Dusty's in his shame because it's almost like Dusty Rhodes has to win every time to prove that his vision of what he is is actually real. Because mm. it might turn out that he's just a guy who thinks he's great and isn't. And Ric Flair and the horsemen, when they put their boot on the neck of Dusty Rhodes and it doesn't look like he's going to get back up, it really looks like for a moment this guy is a cheap knockoff and Ric Flair is the real thing and why would you even want Dusty Rose let him lie on the mat because even some of the fans prefer the bad guy here but if Dusty Rose ever gets back up and what Miz fan just said and you start to see Ric Flair upside down suddenly that tide turns and you just told yourself a whole story about how money and power win in the end whether you want them to or not in the suits and the ties and the women and the party and the lifestyle and the belt 
But then the whole world turns upside down. Ric Flair turns upside down. You say, oh, no, 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 no. I never thought those things. I knew good could prevail. I knew the underdog could rise up. Look at Ric Flair. Look at Ric Flair. He's upside down. Look at Dusty Rose. He's going to get it done. And then Ric Flair's turned back upright. And you know what? He takes the advantage again. And you're like, oh, no, no, no. I knew Ric Flair is just going to win this thing. And these two men were born to be in this cage. They know who they are. They know who their opponent is. They know who their fans are. They know what the story is. It's so rich. It's so rich. I don't know if it's smoke or colors, but something that you can't see with your eyes filled that screen when I was watching this. It filled me up while I was watching it. I remembered what it was like. This is where I made the statement about going home because I remembered there's something I used to feel that I don't get to feel in my life anymore. And man, if you can just take a nap in your favorite match because you trust your characters, like I don't have to wish anything. I don't have to wish Dusty was one inch different than what he is. I don't have to wish Flair was just a little bit different. They know what they're doing. I don't have to be in control. I can be a fan. I can sit back. I can relax in this. I can be excited in this. I can invest in this because the people who are driving this vehicle know where it's supposed to go. Just sit back in the characters and the storyline and let them do what they need to do because they are masters of their craft. Man, that's a, uh, that's a beautiful thing there. I got to spend a moment here just to give credit to Ric Flair. We're talking a lot about dusty roads here, uh, but Ric Flair, um, Kind of the, the unspoken but accepted narrative is Ric Flair maybe uh, jumped into existence, fully formed in 1989 and had some matches with Ricky Steamboat and Terry Funk. And that was sort of like, you know, we're all kind of aware he had a career before that, but that's kind of the official starting point for people, I think. And the crazy thing is that's really, I would say, just the very telltale end of his prime. And I think it is no more fair to judge Ric Flair starting from 89 than it is fair to judge Hulk Hogan starting from 89 and with Ric Flair, I think if you ask people like who is the greatest wrestler of all times, a lot of people would say Flair, but would they really mean it? Is that like a felt experience or is that just kind of like what people know they're supposed to say? Is that just something like, well, I've seen him have some good matches and he probably, you know, theoretically has a lot more good matches that we haven't sought out. Even I, you know, I, I have not seen a lot of great Ric Flair stuff. And I think until you really go back and you watch matches like this one, I think it is hard to fully appreciate the greatness of Flair and how perfect an opponent he was for guys in this time. And you can put aside all the thoughts of, well, did he overstay his welcome? Did he kind of put over the right people? This is not a time where he needed to be putting over anyone. This is a guy where he ruled wrestling. And yet here he is with Dusty Rhodes, with all his opponents of this era, making them look as great as possible, playing his role perfectly. Just, he is incredible in this match, in this era. He deserves all sorts of credit for what he does. I'm so glad you said that. That is, it deserves to be said. You forget it even if you knew it at one time. Yeah. 
Like, it's I like, hear people say, go ahead. <laughs> I was just like, it's axiomatic now. It's just accepted. It's one of those things where, like you said, you, you've known it so long, you accept it, you don't think about it. It's almost not true anymore in your mind that Ric Flair is perhaps the greatest wrestler of all time. And yet, man, you go back and you experience this, and I think you feel it in a different way. You got different fans. Like, some are going to be more of the school of a certain kind of wrestler. Then you got the, oh, Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels. And, You've heard that so many times that you kind of roll your out, oh, Rick Flair and Shawn Michaels, Rick Flair and Shawn Michaels. And I forget that I lived long enough to think at one time that Rick Flair was the greatest wrestler of all time. Then I heard the Michaels comparisons and thought, man, Flair is so much better than Michaels. It's disgusting to put them in the same vein. And then Michaels had more career. I'm like, Michaels is the greatest thing of all time. And it's insulting to put Rick Flair in the conversation, you know, because I got away from the Rick Flair matches. Yeah. But. For a certain thing, They're, whatever they have, they deserve to be in. Like, if that's your taste, it makes sense to link them because there's an emotional component of this stuff. Like, I was texting Benjamin Button after this matchup because he is a massive uh, Ric Flair fan. Mm. And I don't know. Like, I don't know if I've either – I've never thought about my favorite matches or it's been so long – like, when I started to think that like, this is one of the best experiences I've had in 30 years as a fan, I didn't know what to compare it to because I don't know if I don't think in matches. And one thing that came to mind for me was the first Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker match. Mm. I was not the WrestleMania match. I was not a wrestling fan, but I was in a bar in Knoxville watching it. And it's not that either of these is something I would tell you, like, here's my point card, and if you look at this point card, I can show you why this is the greatest match of all time. <laughs> this is transcendent stuff for me that I don't even know I'm watching wrestling. I just know I'm – it's like a religious experience. You are watching people take you to peaks and mountains and valleys. And one thing that I noted here is that – Guys that are so good, guys and gals that are so good at what they do, like you don't have to want to be a professional wrestler, but you leave some of this thinking, I want to be better in my life. I want more meaning. I want to be more purposeful. Like there's no direct conversation that tells you, but it almost feels like you just had an experience that you need to be better based on what you just witnessed. And I don't know how to explain that fully. But that's the kind of experience that I had watching this. And that's amazing. I think it's inspiration. I think you can be inspired by a great uh, piece of, uh, I'll just say a piece of art like this, because I think wrestling can be art. I think a lot of things can be art. Uh, and I don't want to be pretentious when I say that. But, yeah, I mean, any story that can touch you in this kind of way, uh, it has an element of art to it. I really believe that. You know, it, it's something that can inspire you with something that can transport you to another place. It will spark your felt sense. It will give you these feelings that you maybe, like you said, you may not get these much of anywhere else feelings quite like this. So it's an incredible thing. This is a fantastic match. I so recommend it. And I'm so pleased that we were able to bring this match to you, especially mystic. Like even if, even if nobody was listening to this show, if, if you could have had this experience with this match, I think that would have made it all worthwhile. It is. It is. Because for a million, you, you can't script things that make you feel like something that you forgot you ever felt like because you forgot you ever felt like it. Mm. 
you know, there, there is a piece of me that like I seek out intellectually that can never be reached intellectually. And I think that's part of the problem of adult life is all there is, is, is responsibility and intellectual choices. And you have a heart and you have a gut and you are an, an embodied human being. But like, okay, gotta, gotta do this, gotta do that, gotta, 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 is all, is all head and it is all, there's no heart, it's no gut. And I didn't grow up on that. Like, I don't know how I work jobs now that are just so rational and I somehow do well, but all my childhood knew was gut and heart and heart and gut and gut and heart. There was nothing else. And a big part of it was this. And you look at two guys, again, you break down like these are two people who are barely dressed, you know, fake fighting each other, as people would say. No, 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 no. This is some of the greatest storytelling that has ever been done. And it's people who were in character so much and so long that even if there's somebody else, they were characters longer than, than they were human beings. Can you imagine that? And it's masterful. Even the wrestling's masterful. Like, they tease the cage and they don't use it. Then later, Flair uses it on Dusty Rhodes and it gets a big pop. And then Dusty, you realize, like, they've already utilized the cage twice, and Flair hasn't even hit it. And imagine when Flair is going to hit that cage. So there's smart things that they do, but this is the honest God truth. Like, there is no announcing in this matchup. And I was 10 minutes, somewhere between 10 or 15 minutes in before I realized that nobody was announcing the match. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Oh, my God. Yeah, this match, it is a true experience uh, if you can come at it with this mindset. So I hope everyone is able to check this out. It is on the network. Um, and I'll say if there's one thing WWE did to make up for all their crimes, it's to have this network and to make this stuff accessible. Um, so just, we haven't even talked about the ending of this match yet. Dusty mm. Rhodes pins Ric Flair to win his third and what will end up being his final NWA championship. And just the baby faces pile in the ring to congratulate him. And best for me, the way the ring announcer calls the ending, he says, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. the new World champion Dusty Rhodes, and like he he can't believe it himself. He's so excited. It sounds like he could be like tears could be streaming down his cheeks or something. Like the excitement in his voice. I don't even know who this ring announcer was, but like God bless him. Pin a medal to him. Like it 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 touched me in an emotional way to hear him call the ending like that. And man, it's just really something special. It is. You got two choices in wrestling, and either one's okay. If you think that we live in an era where you should roll your eyes or be embarrassed at over-the-top displays in a pro wrestling that don't have the feuds, like, you know, sometimes I've watched companies where there's always going to be a feud that leads to a pay-per-view that leads to a payoff, but there's nothing unique or distinct about it. Just get rid of the feuds and just have matches. But if you're going to have feuds, think about what you're saying, like, you're watching some of the the most capable fighters in the world or else they would not be at the top of the wrestling business and they are in blood feuds with each other. Hmm. What do you think the end of that should feel like? What do you think it should feel like when Dusty Rhodes beats Ric Flair? And if you don't want to feel that or you're embarrassed to feel that, 
then you shouldn't even have the sham of the program. You should just have like bouts. You know, that would be one way to do things and it would be okay. But if you're going to go this route and the best in the world are going to have blood feuds and somebody's going to triumph at the end. Like I feel sorry for people if if if, if they don't want to enjoy that last part. It's like you know, I, I right now I'm teaching a Harry Potter class and I'm and I'm assigning Narnia in one of my other classes and you know, don't drag me to Hogwarts and don't drag me to Narnia if there's not going to be a payoff. Like don't tell me that it's always winter and never Christmas and that somehow that spell can be broken and people can dance and celebrate and live again if we're not going to feel what it's like to see that thaw and to see that spring and to see that new life. Like either we invest in this with all of our capabilities or let's just have a super smart bout fest and not have the storyline. But Dusty Rose, man, he triumphed. Like, it shocked me that he won, and I knew he was going to win the match. <laughs> uh, indeed. You get so used to those uh, non-finishes. This this may be one of the only uh, clean finishes on the whole series that we're going to do. But, man, yeah, it it's quite a moment. We, we can't keep dwelling on it forever because we've got two more great matches to talk about and some great more promos. But, man, it is special. Check it out. Um, please enjoy it. I hope you do. And uh, tell us what you think about it because we would love to hear it. Absolutely. I will just say finally when I texted Benjamin Button about where I was with Michael's Undertaker, immediately texted me right back who he was, the two people he was sitting in between when he watched that match. Mm, that's so, awesome. Yeah, just, just think about those things. And we are leaving that just that fullness of story. And you would think you would have to fall off, but guess what? We, we are doing a show where you leave that and you don't fall off. <laughs> yeah, that's something very nice about these special episodes where uh, we don't have to go now to, um, you know, something in the mid card or God forbid, like the Bushwhackers or something. You know, we're going to continue on with the great Dusty Rhodes. Um, next, we have a, a video called The Saga of Dusty versus Tully. Uh, we see a series of different promo clips. Dusty uh, talking about the horsemen, trashing them. Um, Dusty calls everybody out, including Lex Luger. Now mm-hmm. Lex Luger in the mix here. Uh, we get kind of the more meat of it with J.J. Dillon standing with Luger and Tully. Dillon brags about how Flair and Arn are out in different parts of the country, being rich and successful and relaxing. Um, Tully cuts a great, great promo where he runs down every tactic of Dusty Rhodes, the crossing himself, the, the putting his name, his opponent's name on his head, which he would paint sometimes, all these different things. He says, you'll need every one of these tricks to come after me. And just a, a really, really great um, promo here, a great series of uh, little clips here that you can really appreciate. Yeah, it, it's nice stuff. Dusty says, all my life I lived on the end of this lightning bolt. Mm. And you know he does. And again, I will just say I won't beat the point because we've already done it. But if a man's going to tell you he lives on the end of a lightning bolt, you better be able to feel that one way or the other because you just got to. And then he says there ain't going to be a saddle big enough to put on Tolly because I'm going to ride him all over the state and the country. <laughs> so good luck, Tolly. But Tolly, and in his turn, Tolly, by being so specific and naming everything that Dusty does, he's belittling it and he's taking the great bigness of Dusty Rose and he's making it small and contemptible and is spitting on it and mocking it. And so, again, 
Dusty Tolly is not like Dusty Flair, is not like Dusty Oli, but they're all fantastic. And man, I'm already plugged in. I'm already ready. There's going to be fifty thousand dollars on the line. There's going to be a contract signing, and I'm already, I'm watching it, Miz fan, like it's happening right now. Oh, absolutely! It's so well done. I'll say this: a lot of this stuff, um, whether I'd seen the match, the promo, or not, it was kind of uh, what I expected. And like you were saying before, a lot of times that was like that was a great thing because I was expecting great things. But I'd say if there's two guys who raised even higher in my estimation uh through watching this the first one is Tully Blanchard who I already thought was great and now I think is even better after watching some of these promos and matches and the second guy is JJ Dillon who I feel like maybe I never got before exactly but just some of the stuff he did in here especially in this next segment we're going to talk about I felt like I got JJ Dillon in a way I never did before and I really kind of was able to appreciate what he brings to the table as manager of the horsemen yeah, I think the best J.J. Dillon stuff is in the contract signing of what we covered. Because, again, this is where I got the idea that they're so sick of each other. Like, Dusty's late, and the horsemen are there for the contract signing, and they've seen it all before, so they're referencing, like, oh, he's always going to do this. Like, he's going to make you think he's not going to show up. He's going to put you on his time. Like, there's such disgust for each other because they have seen it all. Like, they can't do anything that the others haven't seen, and yet somehow they still push each other's buttons here. <laughs> indeed yeah we um this whole this whole scene this next scene this contract signing which i i really think is brilliant um it's kind of shot like a movie which surprised me i didn't think they were actually shooting stuff like this in this time but uh it is shot that way we started with this close-up of jj Dillon, lex luger tully blanchard and Aaron anderson all um like kind of in a in a little group huddle they're waiting for, for Dusty Rose to show up for this conference, for this contract signing. They're all in suits. They're all dressed so damn professionally. I barely recognize Tully at first. He looks like he should be the lawyer or something. Like, he's in the suit, the glasses, like, everything. And, like, it's a far cry from uh, their WWF runs where none of these guys could even wear suits because, like, that wasn't allowed for some reason. But, man, like, I just got a different Horseman vibe off of some of these segments, this one in particular, that I really appreciated. Yeah, it's the little things, too, like you said. They are huddled together, and yet they're speaking almost like they're speaking to each other, but you think also they won't crock it and everyone else to hear it because they're, they're ticked off, you know, and they're just offended because, like, why would you make the Horseman wait? Nobody makes the Horseman wait, and yet this guy who's going to be wearing jeans, you know, <laughs> like he's gonna make them wait yeah he's it's great the dichotomy because yeah they're all in suits they got their briefcases it's so professional dusty he shows up yeah in his jeans his weird coat and he's got like a paper sack and he's got the money that he's supposed to bring in this sack and uh it's just it's so the difference between them is spelled out so perfectly and once again it's just great stuff he's got magnum ta with him who i believe is already retired from his accident but uh, still very popular, still involved in the storylines. Um, the gist of this is, yes, that the Rose will put up $50,000 so we can get a shot at Tully and a shot at his title, and the Horsemen are kind of putting the screws legally to this whole match. They'll manipulate uh, Crockett and, uh, you know, get extra money for it, and it's just, it's great, and it really is, I think, J.J. Dillon doing the best work that I have seen him do. I, I always expect... You know, when I knew J.J. Dillon, but not really having seen him, I expected more of like a Heenan type, like a Cornette type, over the top. But really, he's very cool. He's very collected most of the time. 
And uh, I think he was really made for a setting like this because he does a great job in this segment, I think. He does. Because I, I agree with everything you, you said where they're setting up how different they are. But at the same time, Dylan says to Dusty, I'm sure you, I'm sure that Rolex watch um, yours can tell time. <laughs> yeah, true yeah. enough. True enough. Once again, we see that there are similarities as well between Dusty and Ric Flair. They're, they're, they're both trying to call each other frauds without even doing like J.J. Dillon starts with, we don't even know if there is $50,000. And before he can finish the sentence, Dusty is dumping that bag with money, stacks all over the table. So, like, he has no credibility. And Dusty, without speaking, he has no credibility. And it's just the disdain is real, friend. And it, it's awesome, and it fills that room. And poor Crockett has to be in the middle of all of it. <laughs> it's so cinematic. I wonder who kind of like executed and directed all this stuff. I don't know if it was Dusty himself who did have his hand in a lot of booking, particularly by this time. I don't know if it was somebody else, but man, like it's so well done. It will put to shame a lot of segments that we see today uh, that try to accomplish maybe a similar thing, especially in terms of being like maybe more cinematic uh, as you might call it. And yet uh, this, I don't know, something about it just works so well. Yeah, it, it is. I think it's partly because it is well done, but yet it's not well done to the point where it's like, oh, I'm watching them be actors right now. Cause it's still, <laughs> it, it feels like it's still them and it's still rugged and it still has that feel to it. Yeah, it does feel a little Wild West still, even though, you know, the way they're filming it is a little different and all this stuff. But yeah, it, there's just something about it. Like it walks the line in just the right way. It's It's a great segment. It's one of the best segments, I'd say, that we covered in this whole thing, and I think it added a lot to the match that we're going to follow up with right afterwards. Yeah, I said it feels every bit a world title match, what they're about to do. Yeah, sure, they're fighting for the TV title, but man, yeah, there's money on the line, there's hype behind it, it feels it feels like a really enormous match, and here it is on NWA Worldwide, you know, a show which will live to be like the fourth tier, uh, you know, show. Yeah. For WCW down the line, but man, and this time, like, it feels like you couldn't put a bigger match if it was a pay-per-view than this one is turning out to be. Yeah, and Dusty brings that money. He brings that cash. J.J. Dillon and the Horsemen demand a $50,000 upfront signing bonus to do the match. And then they go through the whole thing of signing over a check, and he's like, I'm sure is a check good enough for you? And then... They give the check to them, and they'll be like, here's the $50,000 we're putting up. So they're not even putting up their own money. They're turning that uh, around so that they don't have to even invest into the matchup. It's a great touch, yeah. They really put the screws to Crockett here. Um, I don't, there's just something so official about it. Like, Dylan will read the contract. He'll be like, oh, I see you've extended the time limit. And it's like there's just some kind of authentic feeling to it that really just makes it all work so well. Yeah. And then – like you said, like a lot of people think that Magnum TA was going to be that guy before his wreck, before his injury. So he's going from that to like he's got his arm wrapped up. He's, he's got a cane that he's walking on. I definitely saw some comments in the comment section saying, why are you going to uh, take $50,000 and put it with a guy who you know can't defend that money? <laughs> and like if that is your way of looking into it, then you miss like everything because the pride that these men have and who they were and who Magnum TA might still be, but might not be, but might one day be, mm. you know, is not a whole horseman here. And 
there's Magnum TA and whether he can do it or not, whether it's the right decision or not, because we'll have to talk about that before we're done. Mm. Dusty Rhodes is going to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly you can imagine Dusty Rhodes is the type that uh, he's going to show that loyalty um, to people who are his friends, and uh, he's going to make choices and he's going to stick to them. And I'll just say, man, if you think you could take that money from Magnum TA <laughs> – who is still, uh, you know, he looks strong. He's got a cane, a weapon. If you want to take it, go ahead and try. I wouldn't yeah. try. So. Well said, because the whole match is going to start off with J.J. Dillon trying to, and that cane's going to be at his throat before he can even get over there. Oh, man, what a visual is that? And J.J. Dillon just, like, sleezing his way over towards the money and then getting caught up by that cane and backing away. Man, like I said, my, my estimation of J.J. Dillon raised tremendously during this uh this whole series that we did yeah you know this is this is top-notch stuff and everybody it also hit me what is this 1987 yeah so you know it's not that long we're just a few years off from like luger wrestling flair and sting coming down on crutches and the horseman taking advantage like (laughs) how often is at least one baby face on crutches when the horsemen are in an angle (laughs) oh yeah absolutely Man, I gotta say, to be a to be a wrestling fan in '86, '87, that era must have been just the most goddamn rewarding thing ever. Because mm-hmm. we know what's happening on the other side. We covered it just recently. You got Hogan and Andre and all this incredible stuff, and now you got this over here. It's like it's unbelievable, man. What a beautiful time to be a wrestling fan. No wonder this this uh, industry just like took over the whole country for a little while. Nah, I never thought about that, man. Like. Can you imagine, like, oh, I just finished uh, the, the the Hogan, Heenan, Andre feud. I need to hop over here to see what Dusty and Tolly are doing. Mm, yeah. So great. And and just a moment of shame for, for uh, Vince McMahon, but both sides, but especially Vince McMahon, making people choose, like putting pay-per-views and specials at the same yeah. time. And, man, like, there was room enough for everybody, I think, in this wrestling world. And, uh, you know, if only they could have played together a little more nicely. <laughs> Yeah, this is like this whole this whole episode of television. Like, I would take this in any year in professional wrestling oh, against yeah. anything. It, it's so good. It's great because yeah, if you follow the link, it is the whole episode of Worldwide, and uh, this match I think is the only match on it. But they spend so much time talking about it and like the ramifications of it afterwards, and like all the different aspects of it. It's it's great. You know, it's like the perfect condensation of what we always talk about, like that golden thread that you see through a show. Well, the whole episode is really about this match, the storyline, everything that goes into it. And, man, it's just so well done. If uh, I know there are more episodes worldwide out there. I don't know if there's like a full run available or something. But, man, if there was, I'd be sorely tempted to watch the whole thing one day. Yeah. Just watch. I suggest if you have time to watch this whole episode, yeah. uh, totally – Totally is, again, like, I, I see why he's a tag wrestler, because he tags himself out of this matchup as much as he's in the ring in the matchup. <laughs> That's true, but at the same time, I've heard that he was kind of, like, next guy up to Flair, and you can yeah. see that as well, because, like, as a singles guy, he is tremendous. He's got some magnetism. He's got some great charisma, some promo skills, and, man, he could have done, like, as much as Arn is great, He's, like, very unlike Ric Flair, but Tully, he is much more like Ric Flair, and he's following along in that vein, for sure. Yeah, and these two, man, like, he goes to the floor because he's got people out there. Dusty follows him, and they all scatter. Dusty puts him in the figure four on the floor at one point, and that's oh. just, like, 
that's that's like uh, the five minute mark probably. You know, <laughs> man, I think of the new matches I watched, this is a match I'd never seen before, and I gotta give credit to um to uh, a guy on Twitter who I think does not listen to the show, uh, but is very very knowledgeable. I actually asked him for some recommendations. He put me onto this one, so credit to him. Um and uh, yeah, this is this is probably my favorite new experience that I had because I was loving this match so much I could barely take notes on it. Like I was glued to the screen while this match was going on. Well, this is as good as it's gonna get. Like you know, I I noted at one point it feels like in this era everybody just goes to the hospital after every match. Like, it's just part <laughs> of the. <laughs> Yeah, like they should. They probably don't, but they ought to because, like, yeah, it just feels like it's so rough, so violent. And what, Tony Schiavone calls this match, and, man, like, I like current Tony Schiavone, but he he was very good at this time too. Um, it's unfortunate we covered him kind of maybe in his worst years and got a bad impression of him. But at one point he said, oh, these men, they're thinking about the money and the title, but they're also thinking about hatred. And I'm like, yeah, like yeah. I really uh, resonated with that line there. Yeah, Tony, the mustache Tony does a good job here. Mustache Tony, yes, absolutely. At one point, Tony has Dusty so beat that Dusty sits on the bottom turnbuckle in the corner. He can't do anything. And then when Tony walks into the corner, he stands up and elbows him and then sits back down in that corner. <laughs> and then Tony comes running at him and he just moves and lets Tony knee the buckle. But, you know, this kind of match you're watching here is where Dusty Rhodes has to sit down because he can't do anything else. Uh, this one. This one is—you can't not watch this matchup. This is this is excellent. Again, I say well, I watched the whole episode. Yeah, I mean, if you have time to, I highly recommend it. I was able to watch uh, most of it. I skimmed through a little bit in the promo stuff, but yeah, no, like, it, there's just tremendous stuff going on here. Um, I'll say my only small beef with this match is I, the ending was very good, but also. I don't know. I don't know how to talk about it exactly. I, I had mixed feelings, I guess. I'll just say that about the ending because in some ways it was executed really perfectly, but it also kind of went against a little bit of what I like to see out of wrestling, especially in terms of how referees behave. So um, I don't know. I don't know. What did you think of the ending of this match? <laughs> Immediately I thought it was a garbage ending, but then storyline-wise, I like they made up for it, you know? Right, yeah, maybe that's a good way to put it. Like, they did they did everything possible to convince me that it was a good ending, even though it's an ending I normally probably wouldn't like very much. So, Dusty, um, he hits uh, Tully's own movie, it's the Slingshot Suplex, and pins him, and he gets a three until he puts his foot on the rope, maybe just like a split second after the three, and... J.J. Dillon goes over, he grabs the money, and he runs away with it, and Dusty chases him out, and Tommy Young, who has seen the foot on the rope, uh, signals that the match needs to continue, and he does it in a way like even Tony Schiavone doesn't know what is going on exactly, and Tommy Young counts out Dusty Rhodes because he is running after J.J. Dillon, and Tony wins the match by count out after all, even though he, he was pinned legitimately as uh, they will confront Tommy Young about later in this episode. So the ending is a bit of a cop-out. Uh, I don't like when referees kind of reverse their decision, especially here, because he did not signal it very well to Dusty Rhodes. Um, and yet, as you said, they will really sell this ending so well over the course of the rest of the episode that I really want to give it credit anyway, because I think it turned out well in the end, even though it was still a little bit weak compared to the rest of the match. Yeah. 
Dusty Rhodes goes to Bret Hart 97, grabs a microphone, starts swearing, and practically quits yeah. the company, calls out Crockett. <laughs> so that's some good stuff. And it's also a reminder number 100 that what we call the Attitude Era was just the way wrestlers were at a certain time. <laughs> yeah, they just let them do this stuff just more. And, uh, oh, it's really great stuff. Yeah, all through the, the show, they will talk to Dusty Rhodes. They will talk to Magnum TA. They will talk even to Tommy Young, who defends himself, says, I'm a five-time referee of the year. Uh, he sees the clip. He admits he made a mistake, but he says, we don't use instant replay. You know, I made the judgment call that I made, and, you know, I have to stick by that. And they just sell it really well. They go over all this stuff, and even the baby faces are, like, so mad about it, even though Tommy Young is more of, like, like he'll kick the heels in the hand if they, you yeah. know, are not holding the rope well enough. So if he's on somebody's side, he's on their side. But, yeah, they just sell it so well here. Yeah, he made a rookie mistake, and so in one way, I'm like, it shouldn't have been Tommy Young, but at the same time, it matters because it was Tommy Young, so, you know, it's a great thing, and then just an emotional thing, there's a Dusty Rhodes, Tony goes in Dusty Rhodes, uh, locker room, and Magnetia is like, I shouldn't have done that, I'm gonna get it back, I'm gonna get the money back, and Dusty looks at Magnetia and says, you're in no shape to get the money back, and then just grabs him and hugs him, because, like, there's, there's going to be a breakdown, and he didn't want to say that to him. But at the same time, like, I'm not mad at you because you lost the money, but you ain't the guy anymore to do that. Yeah. But also let me hug you and pretend like we didn't just say that. And then you get out of the locker room because men don't cry in this era. And so it's like <laughs> it, it's a powerful segment because, man, to be Magnum TA then and all you can be is a hindrance and you were supposed to be the next guy up, you know, that's that's a tough little segment by itself. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's so good. And then at the end of the show, uh, at ringside, we see the horsemen are gathered, I think sans flair, but man, uh, they all talk a bit, I think, but Arn Anderson, man, he, he jumps in and he cuts a thundering promo on Dusty Rhodes, and he says in the end, you lost that because of your own mental lapse, and you don't get mm -hmm. to blame anybody, and he puts it on Dusty Rhodes like a ton of bricks, and God, just Arn Anderson once again showing that in many ways he is the greatest thing that you can see in this era. It's just, it is a thundering promo that he cuts at the end here. It is. There is a truth in wrestling. The better the storyline, the better Arn Anderson can do something with it because he, he gets every reason for why it's good, and he can bring that out. Oh, absolutely. Arn Anderson still, still one of the absolute best of all time. Lex Luger says everybody's upset, and we like it that way. <laughs> it was interesting to see Luger and the Horsemen. That's not something I'm too familiar with. But, uh, yeah, he, he fit in well, I think, in his time, in his moment here. Yeah, I think he worked well as a baby, like a like a, a, a fresh into wrestling baby face. He looks like a child in a way, and he's <laughs> wide-eyed at times, I think, watching it. Because imagine not knowing wrestling, and not, he didn't even know how big of a deal the horseman was. And then you're standing in there with them cutting promos like that and, and beating people up like they do. Like, I can't even imagine what that's like. But, you know, yeah. I, I like something about the astonishment where he's in the group, but it seems like he's also astonished by the group. So you also know this can't last forever, but, you know, it, but it's happening right now. Indeed, yeah. No, I, I love all that I've seen of it. Uh, it definitely feels like they took this young guy, this rookie, with just potential to the moon, and they knew it, and they were going to maybe exploit him a little, but also, <laughs> like, uh, you know, also, like, make him into, they're going to mold yeah. him. So it's kind of both. It's, it's very good stuff. 
It is. And then the next time we see them, he's not going to be a horseman anymore. Yep, very true. Very true. We move on, uh, I believe, to uh, 1988. Yep. We have, uh, man, I got to watch more of the Ole, the original version of the horseman. But I would have to think the top two versions of the horseman is that one and then this one, which is Flair, Arn Tully, and Barry Windham. And Jesus Christ, look at those four names and the incredible talent they're in. They are hanging out behind a, a steel cage. They're all cutting promos. Flair talks about the most violent match in the world, winner take all. Barry Windham talks about when he was on the other side, being a babyface with guys like Sting and the Road Warrior and having butterflies. He doesn't feel them now because he knows what's going to happen. He knows what they're going to do. Arn Anderson says there is never a doubt about what the Horsemen will do. It is a fired-up, top-notch promo. They are ready for war games. They were made for war games. War games was made for them, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, you can't beat Barry Windham here where he says when he's a baby face, they got butterflies and the baby faces would be like, golly, what are we going to do tonight? <laughs> and yet they never did have butterflies. As a horseman, Arn Anderson says, there's never a question what we'll do. And he says they'll be laughing and giggling and uh, choosing their company for the night because they've already, they've already got it locked what they're going to do in the matches. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. I, I love that stuff. It's so good. And then you got the other side as well. And uh, you have Jim Ross with Dusty Rhodes and Lex Luger. Dusty's fired up. He's firing up all the baby faces in the company, practically calling them out, talking good about them. He calls out Barry Windham uh, for his for his turn, for taking uh, his U.S. title, I believe. They had a great feud as well that we didn't have time to cover. But uh, he's looking forward to war games. He hypes up Lex Luger as the total package. Lex Luger says, it will be funky like a monkey. And he says, Flair, you made me wait so long. And, oh, buddy, you're not done waiting. But uh, it is a great promo, though. (laughs) To this day, he waits. Uh, Indeed. (laughs) You cannot beat Dusty Rose saying, at Christmas, you get a package. At Easter, you get a package. Flair, you go get a package. And then here comes Lex Luger. Lex Luger says funky like a monkey, which is just out of this world. This is the world that would exist if Sting had never been pushed. This is a world where it's Dusty Rhodes and it's Lex Luger. And Lex Luger, you cannot tell me. Lex Luger should have beat Ric Flair at Great American Bash 88 because you can always put the belt back on Flair at Starcade if you need to. That's where it should have happened. Then even if you move to Sting, Luger's already a world champion too, so you got more credibility. And I will put that on. Listen to the ovation that Luger gets when it's his turn to come into the war games. Biggest pop of the whole match. I really It's believe. unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It is. It is unbelievable. Uh, I have to <laughs> – I don't know if I should thank you or blame you, but uh, you, you've definitely – um, brought me into this world because now uh, every so often I have to have a knockdown drag out fight with cult icon on Twitter about how Luger shouldn't have won the title in this era and just how wrong he is about that. And uh, huh, even him being a Luger fan, he has all these reasons and all these things. And man, it's just not true. I think when you go back and watch this stuff. So I guess uh, the fight continues online that has raged since uh, you were young, but uh Huh. I never would have been in this position. It was not for you, but uh, it's the right position to be in. So <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I, I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, I don't wish to put that on anyone. I was born into it, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the, like I said, it's the right position to be in. So I guess uh, I have to accept the burden. But um, it's obviously right because at at the minimum, I guess maybe if you think Sting was like an actual, but like 
neither Sting or Luger was going to be Flair. So at minimum, why would you not want two credible champions outside of Flair instead of just one? I, it makes so much obvious sense to me, you know, so I don't know. Just some people uh, don't see it that way. I don't really understand their viewpoint even when they try to explain it. But, man, like – and at least with Cole Icon, it's not just like Lex Luger is bad because he likes Luger. Yeah, he does. At least. But I don't know. He just thinks we would have been giving up too much or something to, to put it on Lex. But, man, I think it would have been worth giving up a little bit. You do it at the right time, the right place. You, you can have your cake and eat it too. But – just never happened. So. What are they giving up? I don't know. He's always I, – I think he's often thinking about, like, 89 with, like, Flair and Steamboat, Flair and Funk. He doesn't want to do anything to, like, mess with that timeline. But, man, he's so hot in 88. You could do it before that. And like you said, you can always put the title back on Flair. I, I don't think said he lose that. anything. Yeah, exactly. If he wins it at Great American Bash 88 and loses at Starcade, you don't lose a minute of 89 and you don't lose Sting winning in 90. You lose exactly. nothing. You and me, we're, spe- we're speaking the same language, so <laughs> I'll try again with Colt. I'm sure I'll have to because uh, it's one of his talking points now, but we'll we'll leave that alone. We got to get to war games. So I got to say, as great as the flare match is, as great as the Tully match is, this might be my favorite match on here. To me, this is top two war games up there with 92. On one side, you have the full complement of the horsemen, Arn, Barry, Flair, Tully and J.J. Dillon getting in the ring as well. On the other side, you got Dusty Rhodes leading Steve Williams, Nikita Koloff. Uh, Paul Ellering gets involved to bounce out the managers. And then, yes, the most popular man in the match, Lex Luger, is there on the other side. And, man, all you have to know about this match, I think, is that Arn Anderson and Dusty Rhodes started out. And, man, that's a beautiful combination right there. And it just it just gets so great. I love this match. <laughs> Yeah, again, on things that make you want to cry. Arn Anderson starts with Dusty Rhodes, and you you name drop two matches, and the next one, Arn Anderson's going to be in there with Dustin Rhodes. Oh, yes. It's ridiculous. It's so great, man. It's so good. Dusty and Arn, the stuff they do in here is so great. And I got to say, we see it a couple times, I think. Dusty Rhodes has the most killer DDT that we never talk about. And, man, it is amazing. It is so good. Thank you. It's all over my notes, but for some reason it hasn't been said. So thank you for saying that. So last chance, I had to say it's oh, it's so amazing. It's amazing, DDT. Yeah, it's so clean. Like he's running and he just he folds up in the air and just hangs there for a second and then drops you and it's it's lovely. It's incredible. It's so good. Oh, this match is everything I want from War Games. It is so gritty. It is so hate filled. Uh, everyone in it is doing a great job. Like Steve Williams is in there smashing things up. Barry Wyndham comes in early. Uh, he's going after Dusty. They have such great chemistry together. He's bumping all around. Uh, Flair himself, he's trying to chop like Williams, and it's not even working, and we get so much good Dr. Death stuff. The pop for Luger. Uh, Flair up in the rack. In the rack. Yeah. Oh, you love to see it. There's so much good stuff in here, man. I could talk about it all day if we weren't running out of time already. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, I think the, Arn Anderson bleeds at the two-minute mark, and he spent the first minute running from Dusty Rose, if that tells you anything. <laughs> so, oh, it tells you all you need to know. Oh, my God. It's such a bloody match, but in a great way. I, I'm a mark for blood and wrestling used well, and I think it is used so well here. It feels like a war. It feels like war games. To mm. me, I, I have seen the matches in 87 as well, the initial war games, and they are great. But this one, I think... It is above and beyond. There's just something real special about this edition of War Games. 
It is, man. And anytime you got Arn and Dusty starting and Barry Windham up next, that ought to tell you uh, what you're going to experience. Then Flair's in, Dr. Death is in, and Flair does the chops, and Dr. Death doesn't feel it, and then Dr. Death runs through two people with a clothesline, and I thought, he just did Luger's whole entire set. What is Lex Luger going to do? How dare you, WNWA? And then Lex Luger comes in, and he does the double clothesline, but he jumps in the air to do it, and then he does two of his power slams, and like you said, he puts Ric Flair in the rack, and folks, listen, listen, listen to that ovation while he's doing it. It is off the charts. This is a man that obviously should have won the world title at Great American Bash because the next six months are going to be Flair Luger anyway so you don't lose anything and Flair can win the world title back at Starcade and it can be a six month reign like that other guy who got the belt and after six months the fans were booing him so they had to put the belt back on Ric Flair <laughs> oh man you said it you said it all Luger when he comes in this ring it is so electric and it doesn't even matter like Steve Williams is great and like you said he does a lot of things that Luger would do anyway, but man, when Luger does it, when, when I'll just say when Steve Williams does it, the arena doesn't sound like it's melting down, but when Luger does it, it feels like everyone is just coming out of their seat. They're coming unglued. Lex Luger, just more popular than God in this moment, and man, it is the right time and the right place, so I'm totally with you on everything you said. I've never said this. I wrote in my notes. Is this 97 Luger? And then I responded to myself, it is, except for the victory. <laughs> oh, sad but true. Oh, my God. Man, even if he had, like, a six-day reign coming out of this, at yeah. least he would always say, like, world champion Lex Luger, people know he can get the job done. That would be the problem in the end is people just stop thinking he can get the job done yeah. and he won't be popular anymore. So you you avoid that problem. It's so obvious. I don't know why I have to even have this argument with people anymore. So I'm glad we can at least uh, preach our own choir here. I think all our listeners at least will agree with us there. I promise you if it's anybody's money and you run WCW and Ric Flair walks out with your championship, (laughs) you wish you had two guys that beat Ric Flair instead of one. Tell me that's a lie. Right. Yep. Exactly so. Man, just listen, just listen. I was so pleased. And again, here's the thing that you need to understand. Like, this is Lex Luger before we found out he can't get the job done. So what people act like is, oh, he just he wasn't a good wrestler and people got tired of him. But like he's still getting good ovations after he's been a joke at a world champion challenger for three years. But you listen to the ovation before they found out he can't win it. And it's on par with anything that you could want from a challenger. So that's who he was in his potential. And in 1997, the only other year where they stopped treating him like he's a choke artist and he starts beating people. He wins with the giant. He wins the four-way match. He beats Hulk Hogan in a non-title match. Watch the world title match with Hogan. Watch how they cheer him. Watch how they treat him. Look at the rating. And so you see there's only two little pieces in history where Lex Luger was booked like a credible talent. And look how the fans responded to him when he was. Yeah. It's really something special. If you haven't seen this match, and probably a lot of people I think haven't, and that's very understandable, but man, take the time to watch this. We've said that this whole episode, but man, yeah. like, this is another real special one. We, we, we came to some of the best stuff kind of here uh, at the end of the, 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 the show, and man, it's just such incredible good stuff. Yeah, I think it's beautiful that 
uh, the guy sitting across the table from the contract signing that was making Dusty out to be a liar while Dusty was making him out to be a liar. Like Dusty's going to put that figure four on JJ Dillon and you just know <laughs> Like, Dusty's been waiting for that all night long. Oh, for years, probably. Um, yeah, J.J. Dillon, so obnoxious in this match. I got to give him credit for that. And, yeah, it gets all bloody. And in the end, J.J. Dillon does submit to that figure four. Dusty picks up that win. It's an awesome match. It's top-tier war games. And uh, it is everything you would want from the NWA. It's really just beautiful stuff here. Yeah, man. It, it was another one. I, from Flair... Dusty to totally dusty to this war games is just a world. I want to camp out and be like, nope, I'm spending the night. Like, what happens if I don't turn the tape off? Like, if I don't turn the video off, you know, if I decide I'm living here, do they have to just keep performing and they can't go home and we have to just stay there? <laughs> like, I don't know, but I wanted to try it. If only, yeah. No, this 86, 87, 88, man, just incredible stuff here. So, I don't know. If some fans... At the time, we're getting tired of him. I sure didn't pick it up from the crowd reactions. You know, um, I, I was ready for more Dusty after watching these matches. So that that may be a narrative that I would never agree with. So this was um, this whole thing, man. This is one of the best, uh, most inspirational, most just high quality across the board sets that we have ever done, I think. And it, it is just wonderful to watch all this stuff. It is not a polka dot in sight. <laughs> indeed all right well we're almost at our time i'm amazed i thought we'd be crunching even harder to get here but uh anything else you want to say about dusty Rhodes before we say goodbye to everybody no it's just it was an it was an excellent experience like a career that you can drop back into any decade and have that kind of experience with um i would also say that whether it was anti-flare at the time or not dusty wanted luger to go over flair and dusty was a baby face like luger so Dusty wasn't booking himself to be at the top right now, so like I'm sure there are a lot of good reasons to dislike him at the time, but also like I think if he played a role like he was playing there, he was still succeeding on a high level. Yeah, I would have to think so. Like certainly, certainly to me it looked very successful. It was very, very good, exciting stuff. That crowd reaction was uh, really so high for Dusty. Um, I don't know, just looks so popular, so well-liked, and uh, that, that is my feeling as well. That is definitely my vibe, so great stuff. Uh, for next week, reminder, we are going straight on to WrestleMania, so unless you are strongly inclined to... Oh, no, wait, I lied. We're not going to WrestleMania. We're going to do an all-bonus match episode first, because there's a lot of stuff we've missed between uh, Survivor Series and now. We're going to go through that first. Uh, what I meant to warn people is that don't need to watch the main event with Slaughter versus Duggan and Hogan and Tugboat teaming up. We have made an executive decision to skip that event for obvious reasons. So don't watch that unless you really want to. And if you do watch it and you don't like it, don't blame us because we're not going to make you do it. Um, but yes, we'll have a lot of great, great, great bonus material. And then we will go on to WrestleMania. So that is our next two weeks planned out. And uh, it's going to be a lot of really wonderful stuff, I think. I'm excited to dive back into 1991 and uh, kind of watch some of the best stuff that we are going to get in that era. We're coming up on a hot WrestleMania, and I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the bonus. Uh, like Ms. Fan said, it's been a while. Uh, we haven't covered a lot of stuff, so we got to get that build, uh, get that pathway, and then 
you know, it's, it's already been good, and, and we've been looking forward to the second half of 91 and then 92, the first half. So we're in a good place. It's still going to be a little weird to switch out of this back into that, but, you know, we'll get it done, <laughs> and then we'll get back on that run again. Yeah, we absolutely will. I think uh, I'm very glad that we're doing a bonus match uh, show next time because I think uh, we are just going to see some tremendous stuff there. We've already started digging into some of the great angles of 1991. We're going to be talking about Jake being blinded. We're going to be talking about Savage and Warrior coming to a head here. Uh, we're just going to be talking about so much great stuff that I haven't even started to think about yet. So we, we are going to see some tremendous stuff. Uh, DiBiase and Virgil, that wonderful feud is going to play out for us. Just, I'm very excited. It's going to be great. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the show, everyone. It has been a blast this week in particular. If you want to shout me out, I'm at Spectral Gent on Twitter. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Check out all the other great uh, programs on LOP Radio and all the great written material on Lords of, or, uh, LOPForums.com and WrestlingHeadlines.com. A lot of great stuff. You can join the conversation there. Uh, whew, I think that is everything. So thank you. Remember to travel those dusty roads. They will take you home. Until next week, uh, Mystic, take us home. Absolutely. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. Discovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature
It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered